Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network. In the future, none of you are heroes. You're legends. Get driven. Stay driven. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening and thank you for tuning in to our Thursday night programming of Totally Driven Radio. <laughs> but why wouldn't you tune into the greatest show heard all around the world? <clears throat> But it's still a totally German Thursday. What's up, everybody? Bay Ragney here, and we got a hell of a show for you tonight. We're gonna have a fun show. We're gonna have a rocking show. We're gonna have a musical show, and a slightly sad show. We'll talk about that in a second. But no matter what, we're gonna be driven. We're gonna be totally driven, and we're gonna have fun. So, but I can't do the show alone. I can never do a show alone, and I always say that, and that's the utmost truth. I always need my closest friends by my side, and they are here tonight. One out in the desert, one down in the, possibly in the hot tub. Let's welcome to the show, Mr. Jimmy Ginetti. Are you in the hot tub? No. No. Uh, no. I am, <laughs> no hot I tub? am contemplating, yeah, no, not in the hot tub. I am contemplating going to Wawa. Ah. So tonight's show could be brought to you by Wawa. Brought <laughs> <laughs> to you from Wawa. <laughs> it could be. Yeah, it could be brought to you from Wawa as he's getting a cheesesteak bowl. Yeah. Or maybe an Italian hoagie, double meat, double cheese. Oh. Do you Wawa. like the regular Italian or do you like the spicy Italian? I'm the. Re- I like the regular Italian. Spicy Italian's good too, but. I, I like oh, the. He's not really a spicy guy, though. I miss it so bad, man. The spicy Italian. <laughs> I love the spicy Italian one. But Janetti, you don't really like a lot of spicy stuff, though, right? Sometimes, occasionally, but yeah, not a lot, and and a lot I can't take anymore. You know, it's one of those right. things where we're all getting old. And, you know. <laughs> if if I clear my schedule for three or four days, yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh man, too funny. 
So, and, and you've already heard that voice chiming in. The man who loves the spicy Italian, and he doesn't mean me. Or he does love me, but not in that way. Uh, let's welcome to the show, <laughs> Mr. Nick Wilkinson. What's going on? You know what, Bay? I-, I would put you just above the spicy Italian. <laughs> uh, my wife might say I am one and the same. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, that's funny, oh, man. Man. So what's going on, man? Uh, you know, I, uh, we had a we had a, a little interesting uh, uh, a weekend this past week. I had a I had a house guest. I had Mister Janetti for the weekend. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. No, actually, the dogs had me for the weekend. You were occasionally <laughs> stuck with me. Yeah, uh, Bosco. Saturday morning when he gets up, he, he informs us that all three of my animals slept on him at the same time. <laughs> I woke up, cat was on my head with that breath. I don't know what the hell that breath is. Uh Ozzie was on my shoulder and, and Bosco was by my feet. It was it was an interesting get up, I have to have a cigarette. Um so. Yeah. <coughs> fun, fun, fun. Yeah. If anybody out there is listening and and they know stuff about like animals and and pets and all that, what can you give a cat to like help its breath? Because our cat, since the day we've gotten it, has the most horrible breath. I mean, it's atrocious. You could smell it from across the room. Like, it's bad. It is. It really is. It's a shame. Sleeping by your head, you can really smell it. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, it's yeah, it, 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 I love that cat. It, he's a good cat, great cat. Yeah. God bless him. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I think you'd rather be facing the other end for the for the first time on an animal. I think you'd rather be facing the other end. Yeah, totally. The cat's ass smells better than its mouth, uh, without a doubt. I've said that many times. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not a uh, but either way. Uh, so uh, you know, it's uh, like I said, it's it's a sad day. Um, we, we lost. I, I mean, this person's an icon, a legend, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it with Kristen. Um, Don Rickles passed away. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a shame. But and and you have to think honestly, he was the last of his generation of comics from from that era. Um, the era of Milton Berle and Jack Benny and and um, uh, Red Buttons and, and all these guys. Yes. He's he was the sole survivor out of all of those guys. And he was still performing. Absolutely. Up until a few weeks ago from what I had heard. Yeah. He was just here in Philly within the last six months. He was at the Valley Forge Casino within the last six months. And now I really regret not going. Mm. Mm. You just never know. No? Shame. Yeah. I, I mean, I, let, let's not yeah. get carried away. Like, 90 years old is a good run. 
You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's sad. It is. But, I mean, there's, there's like four things that 90-year-olds can do, and dying is one of them. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I actually it, was one of I was actually wondering, though, does anybody know if he finished um, the voice work on Toy Story 4? Ooh. <laughs> I have no idea. They probably did. They had to kill off Mr. Potato Head. Yeah. Uh, either that or they could use, I mean, they have three movies worth of them. They could use, you know, a couple words here and there, I guess, to... Uh, to fill well, in if they need. So, but yeah, I'm sure they have finished, you know, the voiceovers. I wonder who's out there that's a really good Don Rickles impersonator. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Uh, I'm sure there's somebody. It, it could be worse. You could, you know, I mean, it, it could have been like uh, Carrie Fisher, where you need the whole the whole thing instead of just his voice. True. Now, you know, you just said something that really made me. Um, I should run down our guests real quick, um, but I have this question. <laughs> let, me, let me run down the guests real quick. Uh, we got calling in in any okay. minute is uh, Kristen Burt with our Hollywood news. Coming in at nine o'clock, uh, singer songwriter, performer from Allentown, Pennsylvania, Miss Stephanie Johnson. And then rounding out the show tonight, uh, guitarist. He's played in the band Keel. He's in Wayne's World, both one and two. He was part of uh, Tia Carrera's band. Uh, and he's uh, he's an author now. He actually was an author before. He wrote like kind of like a, an autobiography type book about 10 years ago, over 10 years ago. But uh, he just released a children's book now. So that's pretty cool. So uh, his name is Mark Ferrari. So we'll be talking to Mark around 10 o'clock. And uh, yeah. So there you go. That's tonight's show. And at some point, myself and Nick are going to be counting down three songs that make us cry. So there could be some tears shed tonight. <laughs> so I hope you have your puffs ready. Um, so, so what you just said there made me wonder, like, you know how, like, in music, there's all, like, um, you know, there's all these tribute acts now. Like, there's so many people putting together tribute bands to... Sure. Um, yeah. You know, but pay tribute to these uh, these bands and get work and all. I wonder if there is like um, tribute comedians. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, you mean like outside of Vegas, right? Because I think that in Vegas, there's like you can still get like you could see like a Sammy Davis Jr. show where it's like you know Stanny Davis Jr. <laughs> you know, just say, right, I, right. I'm pretty sure they have imposters, but I I don't know about like the rest of the world or the you know what I mean. See that's that's a good point. Like, look here, uh, I I have a visitor that just jumped up on the on the desk next to my computer, the cat with the bad breath. <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm, I'm have to take. Um. So, so do they do that in Vegas? Like, I know there's like impersonators, but do they do like a full act, or they just do a? Quick oh, they have like, they have well, they have the um, Indian casinos out here too, so they have some of that stuff out here as well. But yeah, man, they'll do like a 
Legends of Comedy Tour, and it'll be, like, two or three different impersonators. And they'll do, like, you know, a stand-up act. Huh. So I wonder if that's something that could, like, you know, carry on, like, as a new trend. I mean, you got, like, tribute bands all throughout the country, all throughout the world, some of them so big that they actually tour around the world. That'd be really cool. Yeah, I wonder if that could, you know what I mean? Maybe just want to do some uh, looking. There you go. I just posted the picture out of my, our new co-host. <laughs> so, all right. Here she is. She's waiting patiently. Let's get her on the line and find out what is going on in the world of entertainment. Let's welcome to the show, Miss Kristen Burt. Hello, Kristen. Hi, how are you? I am sad, Kristen. I'm sad. I'm sad about the loss Don of Don Rickles. Rickles. Don Rickles. I know. You know, I have to say that I haven't watched a ton of his work with Johnny Carson. He was pretty famous for, you know, sort of bantering back and forth with Carson. However, I became really aware of him. I knew who he was, but really aware because Kathy Griffin, you did a lot of comedy bits with him, worked with him a lot, had him on her reality show when she used to have a show on Bravo, and they were hilarious together. And she had a great respect for who he was in the comedy scene and just a great respect for him as a man. And um, so I loved some of the comedy bits, and she was posting a few of them today. So that was just kind of like kind of a fun memory for me, even. Yeah, I don't know how anybody can not have respect for what Don Rickles did in the world of comedy. He's like the greatest insult comic. <laughs> he got away totally. with everything. Totally. And I think it's also a loss of that type of comedy because we had swung so far into political correctness that that type of comedy is just going to get booed or people like abuse you on Twitter if you make a joke like that. It's, it, we're, we're losing all those type of comedians. I, again, you know, Joan Rivers was another one that could like dish it out really good. And yeah. you'd laugh. Yeah, it's a good point. It, 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 you know what? They had a way of doing it. You know what I mean? Like there was a certain way of doing it. And it, it, there's not anybody coming up today that has that aura. That, yeah, that nuance of being able to, get, to do it. Like there's a subtlety to it. Um, right. And it's a skill. And I'm not sure that because, you know, different styles go through g- different generations of, of comedians and everything else. I'm not necessarily sure that was passed down. Kathy Griffin does a version of it, um, but it is very celeb-driven. It's very, very specific. It's not, um, you know, where um, Joan and Don would dive. They, they'd go there when it comes to, to race and to religion and to gender um, in a way that, that Kathy Griffin could never get away with. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, if I, um, if I go... Back and watch, which I do from time to time. Like uh, Dean Martin roast and Rickles was on all of them. Like you listen to some of the things he say and you cringe. You're like, oh my god, he would never get away with that stuff now. 
there's no way. Yeah, some of those friars roasts were like, I mean, you now you're like, oh my god, it is. It's like kind of gut wrenching to hear, but then you're like, we never hear jokes like that. And I mean, I, I understand because it's, you know, there are certain female jokes that you're just like, oh guys, come on, it's you know, 2017. Um, but when you go to that time and place of like what it was and what the style was and and what was funny. Again, that changes. It's a trend all the time. But, you know, even someone sort of adapting the Don Rickles style in 2017 is not happening. Because, again, as I said, we have swung so far um, to the opposite end. And we're so politically correct on everything. Everything. <laughs> wow. You know, it was funny. There was, um, there was a video I saw. I was watching this afternoon of um, an appearance with Frank Sinatra on Carson. And in the middle of it. Um, Don Rickles just comes walking out and breaks up the whole thing and joins in the party. And Sinatra tells a story of, uh, he's like, yeah, years ago, he goes, I'm at this restaurant and in comes Don with this girl. He was dating at the time or something. And he was trying to impress this girl and he comes over to me and says, hey, Frank, this girl don't believe I know you. Can you, you can stop by my table and you know say hello and put in a good word for me? He's like, yeah, yeah, sure, Don, I'll do it. And he, he goes, the son of a bitch, I walk over to his table. He looks at me. He goes, Frank, don't you see I'm eating? Can't you come back another time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were just some, like, really great bits that, I mean, I'm so glad that they were in an era where they're captured, you know, and you can see them on YouTube yeah. and things like that because, I mean, there are so many performances of earlier comedians that we've just completely lost. All of their performances and their footage wasn't saved. And, you know, when it comes to, to Rickles, I think so, too. It might go beyond comedians. You know what I mean? Like, that, like we're, we were talking about this earlier, and, like, at, at a certain age, you get to, like, the, the last of sort of the golden era of Hollywood. You know what I mean? There's very few people left that can, you know, that were around when Gone with the Wind premiered. <laughs> or, you, you know, right. Captain Blood or something like that. I mean, these guys, I mean, we're going to start seeing them, you know, unfortunately, I think we're going to talk about this a lot. It's, some of the, I mean, Olivia de Havilland is 100 years old. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, or I even Kirk think Douglas of, like, someone too. like Bob, Hart, uh, Bob Newhart, who is of that, you know, genre and right. era. He's up there in, you know, another one, another genius comedian. Um, and one thing I wanted to say about the whole Frank Sinatra thing, um, it also came at a time when people would just stop by late night shows. They didn't have a movie to promote. They would actually sit and smoke and drink. And it was a conversation instead of it just being like, I mean, constantly being a bit or constantly um, just going, the only reason I'm here is because I have a new book and I need to sell it. It's not, it was not that. It was, they were stopping by because they genuinely liked Johnny Carson. Yep. Yep. Truth. It's a whole different era now. It, it just it doesn't have that feel like back then. No, it's very sticky. You know what I mean? And you're like, you know, there's a stick going on, especially like Jimmy Fallon. You're like, what kind of game are they going to play? Um, I do appreciate James Corden because he does kind of gather people around and they, you know, yes, they have something to promote. And yes, there's probably carpool karaoke or something like that. But he does kind of have some interesting topics and um a little bit more of a round table the way Johnny had way back in the day. 
Now, where, where did where do you think like the breakdown happened? Like where it changed? You know what I mean? Like yeah, well, I I'm guess when guess when when John left, which was what ninety three. Um, but I mean, I think people even at the tail end of, of Johnny Carson were coming in um, just with their movie trailers and doing that. And, and of course, they weren't smoking or drinking on the air. You lose that sense um, of that. But I think the real shift happened when it's a new set of comedians. You have David Letterman and you have Jay Leno and everyone brings their own flavor and style. And they were OK with the studios going, we want to bring on Bruce Willis. We're going to show, you know, a new Die Hard trailer. And then it just be, it starts the cycle of all of that. Um, and I miss, I miss sort of that, that, just that conversation. Big time. Big time. Well, yeah, I mean, it turns out that it's more about, you know, it ends up being more about making a profit and, and promotion and stuff like that than it is about just, like, true comedy or, or even, like I said, surpassing comedy and just entertainment. Um, it, it's funny because this morning I noticed I was watching the news before I left to take my wife to work, and everything was sponsored. You know what I mean? It was like the country's under weather report, the, you know, Sears traffic report. Like, everything had somebody else's logo on it. And I was just like, wow, this sucks. Like, I remember when the news was, like, almost fun to watch. Everything's for sale. That's what it is. Everything is for sale. You want to slap a label on it? Sure. You know, for you give us money, it'll be the Smuckers, happy birthday, you're 100 on the Today Show. How long has Smuckers done that? Forever. <laughs> um, the other interesting thing, and um, I haven't gone to check yet because I just like world home and then grabbed you guys on the phone. Um, uh, Regis Philbin was a very good friend um, to Don Rickles. And I don't know if he made a statement yet, but that was someone also who would have Don Rickles on a show quite a bit when he was Regis and Kathy Lee, especially. So I'm sure that's a big loss to Regis Philbin. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Sad. All the icons are leaving us. I know. I know. It is a bummer because you're just like, oh, there are so many great memories and television memories. I think that's what's so important, too. Actually, you know what I think the sadder part of it all is? is, And this is in, like, all areas of entertainment. There's just nobody really coming up to take those icons places. You know, what, you man, know, that's not. not true. It's, it's not true though. Like I was, I thought about this on the musical level the other day and like Justin Timberlake is going to be as big as Michael Jackson. Like I, without a doubt, he's going to go down in history as this huge pop icon. Like there's no way, you know what I mean? Like there are some people out there, there's still some actors that are really just, you know, perfecting what they do, whether it's on TV and in the movies. They're just underrated right now, I think. Yeah, but, but Justin, Justin is not that young. He's not that young. And he never had the fame that Michael no, Jackson right. had. He'll never have a thrower. No, no. You're, you're probably right about that. But can you think of, I mean, who currently, is, is he the king of pop? Uh... I'd say Drake is probably eclipsing, or John Legend, um, um, Pharrell. I would say they are eclipsing Justin Timberlake at oh, this Pharrell. point. Pharrell's a yeah. good choice, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think. 
who else? But yeah, I mean, I would throw John Legend in there for sure. Taylor Swift, I would throw in there. She's had some really massive albums. Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily think her her work um, matches that of Michael Jackson by any means, but um, in terms of massive popularity, for sure. Britney Spears. I mean, you got to give Britney Britney Spears in her day. Yeah. Did you hear that Britney Spears just changed the date of the Israeli election? Because <laughs> she's coming to Tel Aviv to do a concert, and they're concerned that in July this is, but um, they're very concerned that people are not going to show up to vote So um, because it's going to be trafficy and, and really tough to get around, and they're afraid people will stay home. So they moved the election by, like, a day so people could go to the Britney Spears concert, get rid of the traffic, and then next day everyone can vote. That's amazing. That's a lot of power. That yeah. is amazing, yeah. Good for her. She's still a global superstar, absolutely. And, you know, you know her. she's not who she was as a performer, you know, 15 years ago. However, everyone I know that's gone to see her Las Vegas show has had so much fun. Um, it's great to see all of her hits. She's not dancing the way she used to, but good for her to be able to fill a Vegas auditorium or theater for almost three years now and make multi-million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Good for Brittany. I mean, she puts on a hell of a show, though. I mean, it's not <laughs> just, like, pop music. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen her live four times, and it's been oh, really? great every single time. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just get at the fact that you've seen her live four times? <laughs> Can we discuss that? <laughs> Well, you know what it is? I, I was in Orlando when uh, when the second album came out. It was like the debut at Disney, and I didn't know, but we just happened to be there when it was all going down. And, and Florida, they love her. <laughs> and uh, it was, I mean, it was big, yeah. But and it was such a good show that I've I've been back a couple times. Well, look at you. Who knew you were like a Britney Spears fan, Britney Jean? <laughs> uh, Nick surprises you at times, doesn't he? He comes up with he these does. things that nobody expects. I know. That doesn't like, surprise me. Doesn't surprise me. I, you know, I'll make you a bet. Nick can probably uh, discuss some of the dialogue from Crossroads too. I'm sure. That's a bad movie. <laughs> That is a bad no, movie. The, the part that uh-huh. is that Nick doesn't like to go to like where there's big crowds. Like he's mentioned to me a few times over the last couple of weeks about concerts that he has been offered to go to, and I know like the crowds are going to be possibly under a thousand or under two thousand people, but yet he's at Britney Spears where you know there's like eighteen to twenty thousand people at. <laughs> well, I, I was younger then, though. I mean. You know, right. I haven't gone recently. Oh, okay. You would okay. go, though, to Vegas. If someone offered you a Vegas ticket, you'd go see her show at Planet Hollywood, right? I, I I would because it's a little different there than just a random concert. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. a, the security's tight. There, everybody has a seat. If, you know what I mean? Like that, I would definitely do that. I saw Shania Twain there. Shania Twain. Have you seen Celine Dion, no. the greatest singer in the world? I haven't, no. <laughs> and the oh. nicest person in the entertainment industry, everyone I know that's worked with her has been like, you guys, she's like the nicest person ever. <laughs> and she gets the joke about her. 
You know what I mean? She's always in on the joke. She goes, I know you think I am too extra and too much and too nice and too emotional. <laughs> but then she plays into it. She loves it. Which makes me uh, like her more. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So besides uh, beside the, the world uh, mourning Don Rickles, is anybody else actually uh, up to anything out there? <laughs> Um, I think the other big news story this week was that Pepsi ad with Kendall Jenner. Did you guys watch it from start to finish? What is it? It's a Pepsi ad that, yeah, it is. I was like, I'm a Coke girl myself. I love Coca-Cola, Pepsi. I'm like, eh. ah, however, this you, was supposed Christian. to be, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. Like this was supposed to be kind of like their biggest endorsement ad for a celebrity that they've done since Cindy Crawford. So this was going to be like a whole campaign. And I can't believe that a bunch of ad executives and marketing executives and then, you know, the head of the corporation were like, this is a great idea. And everyone's calling it tone deaf because you have a very white Kendall Jenner um, (laughs) sort of engaging in um, what looks like kind of like a Black Lives Matter protest maybe um, the Women's March, but it has all these weird images of, like, ladies lunching or brunching, and then, you know, Kendall's ripping off her blonde wig and handing it to a black woman, and I'm like, did anyone think that there's always, like, a thing about black women and their hair, and that, like, someone who's super rich is, yes, I was just, okay. I mean, that one for sure, I was like, who? Who said that this was okay? None of it makes sense. If if you took out Kendall Jenner, if you, if you just replaced her with let's say uh, uh, Twain? Rosario Dawson, is it a better commercial? No, I don't think so. I don't think okay. so. I think because and then she's like handing the Pepsi can to um, the police officer, like that just settles police tensions between races and and you know what I mean and the police force. Like it doesn't make any sense, and I think it. I, I understand that they wanted to be a part of the, the conversation, um, but there are certainly better ways to do it. And this was just like, it had so many different fragments that I was like, this is a mess. <laughs> you know, it's funny because the first time I saw it on the outside, of, you know, just watching it briefly or whatever, I, I didn't really have any issue with it. Like, and maybe it's my like pseudo white guy privilege. It was reminiscent of like, you know what I mean? The hippie working their way through the crowd and then putting the, the flower in the barrel of the gun. You know what I mean? Like, that, that, to me, it seemed like it was sort of to be a modern take on that. And at first, I was just like, okay, it's kind of stupid, but it's no big deal. Um, and then it just blew up. <laughs> so I, I think the current political climate probably has a lot to do with it, too. Oh, for sure. I definitely think that Twitter fuels the fire on anything. But if you do look at it sort of frame by frame or scene by scene, you're like, it is incredibly tone deaf. Um, And that I've got to imagine that they have some person of color and some women on this board, on this advertising campaign. I can't believe no one raised a hand um, just to say, I'm a little uncomfortable with this image. What do we think? I think that the uh, voice of the new generation still doesn't know what it's talking about. And that's me. <laughs> well, 
Pepsi, you know what? Pepsi kind of had your same attitude because originally they were like, this is what we set out to do. We feel like we accomplished it um, until they, they caved probably a half day later after that. But they initially did not yank it. So they were standing by it, and then they just realized, like, you're not going to win this fight. I'll tell you what. It was funny because people really hate Pepsi. And uh, it's weird. Like, um, actually, uh, it happened last Friday night. Like, I was at a, a, a comic convention at Villanova U- University. And actually, Janetti was up in town and spending the weekend at my house. So he was with me. And he, Jeanette, me and Janetti have thought about this for years. He is a major fan of Coke. And I'm a major Pepsi fan. And he went to go get mm-hmm. a drink. And I said to him, if they have Diet Pepsi, of course, get me Diet Pepsi. And he comes back laughing because they only carried Coke products. I put a Facebook status of, I can't believe Villanova only carries Coke products. And the amount of hatred that was spewed on my thing for Pepsi, I was in utter shock and disbelief. I couldn't believe how hated a brand of soda can be. I won't even waste the calories. I'll be like, are you a Pepsi facility? And then they'll be like, yes, we are. And I'll be like, no, I'll just have water. I don't want to waste the calories. Like, if I'm going to do a Coca-Cola, I'm, I'm going to do a Coca-Cola. That's it. Dude, that's funny. Like, if I go to a place like, to eat and they don't have Pepsi, I instantly say uh, Coors Light. <laughs> yeah, everyone has their thing. I just find Pepsi way too sweet. It's just way – I like the acid that's in Coca-Cola that's eating away at my stomach. It's great. <laughs> uh, you know, it's Pepsi's own fault. They did that Pepsi challenge back in the day, and people just realized Coke was better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Oh, remember we had Coke Classic? A new Coke? A new Coke kind of tasted like Pepsi? Remember all that fuss? I uh, try not. And Crystal to. Pepsi? There were so many things. I remember. I remember doing but that Pepsi is, challenge every day yes. and picking Pepsi and getting my bumper stickers and all that stuff all the time. I wish I had that stuff still. But in the Could 80s, you, the soda wars were huge, too. You have to remember that. Like, now, like, soda sales are going way down. Yeah. It's, it's not like you couldn't tell the difference between Coke and Pepsi. It's not oh, I know. hard. Oh, I know. So... I picked Pepsi every time. Well, of course you did. Because I like Pepsi. I like my Coca-Cola. <laughs> there you go. I'm with Kristen. For one time. Right I know. Down. Look at that. Yay. Finally, after three years, they agreed on something. Yeah, right. The one thing. <laughs> uh, we can have pizza and soda together. See, that's nice. That's pizza, right. Or popcorn and soda. Yeah. There you go. Very I don't nice. know if we're seeing the same yeah. movie, but we're definitely going we to the movies. Gonna... We'll meet each other at the soda set. <laughs> you I was just say, we'll go to movies together, and uh, you guys can have your Coke and popcorn. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> but I was like, I'm not sure and... we're seeing the same movie, but we're definitely at the same. We're at the movie theater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could be in the same theater, but not in the same movie. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh. So uh, what else is happening out there? Um, I'm trying to think what else. Well, t- I'll just today, I'll tell you guys, I was hanging out with James Hinchcliffe, indie race car driver who was on Dancing with the Stars 
last season. Um, but I got to go and hang out because he is racing at the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach this weekend. So that's always kind of fun. I don't know if you guys follow racing or anything, but the racing community is always outstanding. Like everyone's so nice and so kind. Um, so it's always a great group of people to be around. Now, now how about that? Like the, the like the racing community is it like um. You know, because it's considered very, I guess, like redneck or, or white trash or whatever you want to say. Is it embraced by Hollywood, do you think? Um, I think more so it has in, in, in the past few years. Um, I don't think you're going to see a lot of Hollywood celebs, like, going to NASCAR races, per se. Um, but when a lot of the race car drivers, like, come to Los Angeles and they're doing endorsements or they're doing some sort of... Hollywood crossover, they're definitely embraced by the community. They're not shunned by any means. But you just don't see a lot of like, hey, I'm taking my kids out to the NASCAR races this weekend. Not a lot of that. Um, But we do have a lot of celebrity participation in the Grand Prix. Um, You know, those are Indy cars, but we do a celebrity Grand Prix that Toyota sponsors. They used to race old Celicas, um, which is really fun. You get a lot of the Hollywood community participating in that. Nice. It always seems to me that the the celebrities more went the Indy cars uh, and the Indy circuit. Indy cars, Indy circuit, and Formula One. Formula One, where the money is. Yeah. So you would always see celebrities associated with that long before any celebrities were associated with the NASCAR. Uh, Agree on that. And. Good. A lot of the Southern celebrities were affiliated with NASCAR, just the way, you know, the uh, country Western singers, so forth and so on. But, yeah, a lot of the Hollywood celebrities were not. So, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, they were definitely later to the, the table than uh, the country music scene or things like that, because those kind of go hand in hand. But, you know, when I worked, when I did a show for Toyota, which I did for five years, I worked a lot with Toyota Racing um, and Toyota's NASCAR team. And I will tell you, they're all incredible. Michael Waltrip, um, you know, he's not only a team owner, but he's raced for decades in on the NASCAR circuit. Just really salt of the earth, kind people, um, very family-oriented. And um, I don't – there's just nothing wrong with that. I mean, racing may not be – it's not like I'm running out every weekend to – you know, go out and see a NASCAR race, but being around it, you're always like, it's really kind of cool to watch the races. It's loud. Yeah. It's exciting. Um, the crashes can be really scary. In fact, James Hinchcliffe had a life or death kind of uh, accident a couple years ago, um, never knowing whether he was going to be able to race again. And, um, you know, you realize that these guys are making split second decisions behind like million dollar vehicles. And, um, Doing it for the love of the sport, honestly, because their life is on the line there. It's kind of, you know, it, it's like people, they're not saving lives for sure, like first responders are. But these are people that, that understand they go out and they do their job, and they're like, this could be the last year off. They don't know. It's true. <clears throat> it's very true. Mm-hmm. In a matter of seconds, God knows what can happen in one of them things. <laughs> Absolutely. I, and I don't, I don't have that chip. I don't have like, I just admire what, you know, especially like police officers, EMTs, fire, firemen, it's incredible what they do um, to save people and rescue and keep people safe because I'm like, wow, 
you know, it's or military, another one, you know, you go out there and it's, mm-hmm. you're putting your country or your community before even your family. Right. Like, I got a job to do. Mm-mm-mm. So how about, uh, uh, I guess we'll go dancing with the stars first, but I had a, a, a question about the whole J-Lo stuff <laughs> starting up. Let's talk dancing with the stars Oh, yeah. Um, J-Lo's done. I mean, J-Lo's done, not J-Lo. Charo's done. Charo, she's the, the J-Lo of her time. <laughs> so Charo got um, voted out. Does this affect anyone's envelope at all? <laughs> Maybe? No. No. No, no, okay. No. I, was, I, I was very tempted to put her in there, but I know I didn't. Yes. It's, it's rare for someone over the age of 60 to make it to the finale. That's one of the formulas for Dancing with the Stars. Like, Tommy Chong was the exception, not the rule. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, so she's out. I wasn't surprised. I think I talked a little bit about that last week where I was like, I think her, she was great on the dance floor, but I think like her antics and crazy behavior towards the judges was a little too much. It even made me a little uncomfortable. I was like, okay, that's enough. Settle down. Um, so I was like, yeah, she's gone. And, and she was. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit harder. She reacted. She was very calm. So I have a feeling she got a talking to somewhere <laughs> along the way. I don't know if producers got a hold of her or her management team, but that last appearance um, the week before um, she left, I was kind of like, yeah, that's the nail in the coffin. Bye. (laughs) Damn. Yeah. And even if it's just part of her act, a lot of people don't understand that um, because a lot of people didn't grow up watching Love Boat. So um, if they don't understand who your personality is and that's when you're talking back to the judges and acting like a little too crazy, they have, Dancing with the Stars voters have no time for that. That's the, that's the thing, too. Like, how many people watching that show have no real clue of who she is or get her whole thing? Yeah, I'm sure, like, the, the younger audience, at least under probably 30, maybe 35, they're probably like, what? <laughs> who is this? Why is she so nuts? Um, you know, she has a really, you know, interesting Hollywood history and um, – you know, it's great that people can, like, always become acquainted with celebrities of different eras, which I think is awesome, but she wasn't made for the show. It wasn't the right show. It wasn't the right fit. Yeah. On paper, it looked good, though. <laughs> On paper, it does look good. It does look good. And, you know, that's the thing. You have to start when you, like, kind of pick um, who you think is going to wind up in the finale You have to start, like, looking on paper, like, this looks almost too good to be true on paper because if it's too good to be true, oftentimes it absolutely is. And you're like, oh, let's totally make it to the finale. And you really think about it, you're like, there's no way. Based on, if you keep on going season by season, there's always a pattern and a formula. (laughs) (laughs) So going over to the flip side, we got that new J-Lo dance show. Now, did that start yet? It starts May 30th. It is premiering Uh at 10 p.m. after America's Got Talent. And that's the way it will be all summer. And, like, now what's the premise of that? Is I mean, is it just, like, unknown dancers or? No, these are actually very well-known dancers in, in the professional community. Um, there are some amateurs, but I will tell you that this is the Olympics of dance. That's what they're calling it. 
I call they're calling it like a dance competition show on steroids. I went on Saturday down to um, down to Pomona, which is our fairgrounds in Los Angeles, because the world of dance has actually existed for a very long time, for about a decade. Um, and it's kind of a hip hop community, um, and they do a lot of dance offs and things like that. And they just knew that their style of competition would work well for a TV show. And then they got JLo aboard and it kind of like exploded into this huge dance competition show. They're not just including hip hop. It's ballroom. It's ballet. It's um, kind of a, there's a cabaret ballroom group. There's dance crews. Um, But, you know, Jabberwockies are on it and they won the very first season of America's best dance crew. You have fiction who's from, so you think you can dance. He's a great hip hopper. He won season nine and his contestant last season won um, the kids version of the show. So, there was all these amazing dancers, three divisions, upper, junior, and group. You have to oh, win wow. your division, and then the divisions compete against each other for a million dollars. Whoa. And they're from all over the world. Oh, it's, like, insane. I think the level of dance we're going to see is going to astound a lot of people. It's going to really kind of raise the stakes in the dance industry. Now, how about... um. Was there, is there still, like, word of her uh, being part of bringing back American Idol? or? Um, there is a bidding war going on between Fox and NBC right now. And NBC is in it to win it. They really kind of want to keep J-Lo in the fold as much as possible. They're already talking about season two of World of Dance, and the show has not even premiered. Um, and we know, of course, Shades of Blue and, and um, Bye Bye Birdie. So they are working hard to keep... Their star at home. They don't want her to go anywhere else. I'll tell you what, that knocks it out of the park every week. Now, I heard uh, Kristen actually a couple days ago that uh, they're shelving American Idol. They decided not to bring it back. Is that true? Um, I haven't heard that. The last I heard it was a fierce bidding war going on. Right. But yeah, there was something. Between the two owners, one owner wants to go to NBC, the other one's something with Fox, and and so they decide not to fight over it. Yeah, I, this is what I'm hearing from, and that was on uh, one of the satellite radio shows. So, oh, interesting. So, I'll have to go and see if that's true. Because last I heard, it was kind of going nuts, and maybe it got you nuts. They're just like, we need to take a step back. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. So, uh, and you know what? I, I know I don't have any anybody, but uh, does anybody have a totally different person of the week? I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. No, not really. <laughs> Nick, by chance, do you have one? <laughs> no, I mean, I had one last week, but no, we're good. <laughs> oh, one thing I wanted to say, um, if you guys are interested in watching a bunch of boys fight, the Twitter war between Alec Baldwin and producer, film producer Dana Brunetti that happened yesterday was epic. <laughs> so I'm like, boys fighting on Twitter. I'm like, what are you guys, like 12-year-olds? Come on. And they were fighting no, over they... a movie that was done a long time ago, which doesn't even matter in this day and age, and they're each calling each other liars. It's awesome. And also was just one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't even matter. Like, people there, didn't I even... thought it was a lifetime movie. <laughs> like... 
And that's exactly the point. Like, people were like, I've never even heard of this movie. It's so long ago. Nikki Reed did it when she was 16. So um, give me a break. Alex Baldwin at the time, I think, was 46 or 47 when he did it. So um, it was was a while ago. He loves this. And it was there's some weird like in chemical imbalance in his brain. And, and when it's calm, it's really good. And then I don't know, you know, when he's having a bad day, it's whoo, that temper just like lights up and off he goes. And I'm like, his wife should be like, hand over your phone. Do not touch your Twitter app. Don't do it. I'll tell you what I, uh, he's actually coming to Philly doing a, a book signing. Uh, this month, I yeah. think it is. Yeah, he was signing last night in New York. Wow. He's a smart guy. I will I will always say that. Intelligent, funny comedian. I loved him on 30 Rock, but man, I wouldn't want to be married to him. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? And, and I don't know how much you guys want to touch on the whole, you know, argument on Twitter or not, but I have a really hard time believing him. <laughs> Uh, I just I don't buy. Whose side, Dana, Dana, or Alec, or both? That they're just doing it for publicity. No, no, no. I mean, I I saw that movie because I had previously seen Nikki Reed in Thirteen, and the entire life around the movie was about how old she was when she was involved in it. So for him to say he didn't know, like that's ridiculous. I'm, I was from Philly, and I knew. <laughs> I I just don't buy it. Well, yeah, and I mean, that was there was such a huge hype because Nikki Reed had helped write 13. So, again, yeah, and it was based off of her troubles as a teen at that age. I mean, I remember no, I that. I went did to the a, Philadelphia premiere of that. I was going to say they did tons of Q&As around that. I don't know if they showed up there and did a Q&A after, but cause I think it was she wrote it with her stepmother, if I'm correct, um, yep. who is a screenwriter, so. I mean, I remember tiny little Nikki Reed talking about it at the time because it was, it was, it was a strong story, and um, you know, it was somewhat autobiographical. So she kind of knew what her character was going through because she had done some of those crazy antics. So it was, it was a fun movie. And you look at the cast now too; it's ridiculous. I mean, Evan Rachel Wood turned out to be yep. a terrific actress. Vanessa Hudgens is she makes me smile every time I see her. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, but there's no way you didn't know that the girl from 13 wasn't over 18. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't exactly. make sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. And I was like, you know, it's just like boys fighting. I had a friend date Dana Brunetti for a while. She can throw some mud just as well as like Alec did. So I was like, <laughs> oh, we're in for it. When I saw this starting, I was like, I'm just going to sit back and eat some popcorn and watch this unfold because. This is an interesting one. I mean, Dana's scene is in it, I think, his early 40s. And uh, my friend was a little bit older than him, and she got turned in for a much younger model. <laughs> Very Hollywood. <laughs> she got replaced and didn't even know she was being replaced. One of those situations. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was bad. And I was like, oh, why does he have Because he's, he's a fun guy. He's really nice. And then you sit there and you go, why do you have to turn out to be like every Hollywood guy and need like the 20 something girl and cheating on your great girlfriend and all that stuff. You know, it happens. Mm -mm -mm. The stereotype. 
Yeah, right. So, how about uh, what do you have uh, coming up in the next week? Are you uh, busy, busy, or you have a little break in there? Or? Um, you know, I'm trying to think. I do have this weekend off, which is fantastic. It's it's kind of rare at this time of year to have the weekend off because I think my next three or four weekends are filled with events. But you know, continuing on with Dancing with the Stars and um, doing a big charity event tomorrow night. I'm hosting the red carpet. Um, but they're honoring pretty big celebrities, so I'm looking forward to that. And um, I guess that doesn't—that is the start of the weekend, isn't it? I'm like, ah, but I have Saturday and Sunday off, which is good. Um, so, yeah, just continuing on, plowing through. Daytime Emmys are coming up, and, of course, we're prepping for World of Dance. So a lot of fun stuff. And then it'll be busy, busy, busy all over again. Yes, always. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, Kristen, as always, it's a blast. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to put in the motion the, the Kristen Burke show where we just talk to Kristen all night. <laughs> we just gab and gossip. <laughs> that's, it. that's it. Yeah. And we, we do, can do a lot of gabbing and gossiping. Yeah, that's good. Coffee <laughs> See, we, we need to have one of them shows where, where we can just sit around and, uh, you know, Drink and smoke cigars and gab and gossip. Yeah, we need we need our own version of Johnny Carson. There you go. We could reincarnate Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be great though because then somebody else on the show would know like fifty percent at least of what I'm talking about. <laughs> because these guys, <laughs> I was watching the news earlier and I saw that these two celebrities were dating and I was like, oh man, I'm gonna bring that up tonight. And then I was like, you know what? They don't know who either of them people are. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when I did Pamela Anderson and Julian Assange last week, <laughs> and that went yeah. over like a balloon. <laughs> she well, was, let me test you. Let me test you, Bay. Okay. I said that I was shocked when I watched the news <gasps> and I, I saw that Sarah. No, no, no I, maybe, but maybe not. When I saw that Sarah Highland was dating Dom Sherwood, I was like, oh, my God. Like, she's dating out of her league. Like, you know, do you know who either of those are? I know who Sarah Highland is, yes. I don't know who yeah. Sarah That actually really – that surprises the hell out of me. How about um, David – she's adorable. She's really sweet. What about David Bade dating Naya Rivera? Oh, my God, I Come thought it was on. an April Fool's joke. <laughs> yeah. When I saw Refresh- them in the pool in Hawaii, I was like, what? <laughs> Who, who's Naya Rivera? Because I saw it's this and Glee. I was blown away. Glee. She was on Glee for yeah, the run Glee. of the show. Yeah, I saw the picture of them and I was like, holy hell. But he has like, dated thought- like every hot girl in Hollywood. Every hot girl has dated David yeah. Spade. And I thought he was like the laughing stock because he had been with everybody in Hollywood. But he said he said he has a trick to like why he dates all the hot women. He listens to them, and you know, un- tries to understand their situation. And so they're probably just like, "Great, he's so understanding," and all he does is get laid. It's great for him. Oh. <laughs> uh... Plus, you'd be surprised, like, I'm not a, a girl, but you'd be surprised how being funny works. Like, people like to laugh. There's, you know what I mean? Like, you'd be surprised how 
just being kind of funny will get you far. Oh, I agree. I totally agree. And he's been a very successful actor in his career, too. So you can't sit there and laugh at his career and just be like, oh, he's some stupid schlub. He's not. He's very successful. He's smart. He's funny. And he has serious dating games. Yeah, I think that's huge right there is um, listening. Because I, I, can, I can't tell you how many times my wife said, I wish you would just listen to me and focus. <laughs> I do that to my husband all the time. I'm like, turn your ears on. I got to tell you something. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I don't feel so bad. I'm, I'm not the only one out there. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, Kristen. Again, thank you as always, and we'll be talking to you next week. Sounds good. Take care, guys. Take care. Take care. All right, well, there she goes, Kristen Burt. Look for her all over the world of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even Snapchat. K-R-I-S-T-Y-N-B-U-R-T-T. That's K-R-I-S-T-Y-N-B-U-R-T. And you know what? We're like right on time to take a commercial break. So let's uh, take a commercial break, get that out of the way, pay the bills. We'll be back on the flip side, and we'll be talking. Uh, our guest should be calling in by then, and her name is Stephanie Johnson. So stay tuned. Attention business owners, website owners, event promoters, or anyone looking to promote your product. The Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network is the perfect way to spread the word of your business around the world. That's right, you can advertise at our network and be played on all of our shows at rates that are so cheap, it's a no-brainer. For more information, contact Bay Ragney at bayragney at gmail.com. To keep your business driven, stay driven with Totally Driven Entertainment. Are you a fan of Sherlock Holmes? Letters from Holmes offers unique, one-of-a-kind letters from the world-famous detective himself. Handwritten on 8.5-inch by 11-inch aged parchment paper and using smudge-free ink to produce original, high-quality letters that fans will treasure for years to come. Each letter is handcrafted and written from the perspective of Sherlock Holmes, mimicking Holmes's native tongue and embracing many of the famous detective's quirks, quips, insults and peculiarities. Order a love letter, birthday greeting, personal correspondence or more only at www.etsy.com forward slash shop, forward slash letters from homes. For $5 today, you can buy a wealth of things. Gas for your car, rent a movie for the family, a few slices of pizza. $5 still takes you a long ways. But did you know that $5 can buy your child a bag of heroin in the streets? That's right. For only $5, your son or daughter can buy some of the cheapest and purest dope in the country. Be aware of the lies. Be aware of the stealing. Be aware that's all it takes to kill your child. $5. This message was brought to you by Casey's Cause, a group of parents located in Southern Chester County out to save your child's life. Come join us today at www.caseyscause.com. And remember, $5 is all it takes. Casey's Cause, www.caseyscause.com. Looking for that perfect gift for your girlfriend? Then look no further than Teddy Scares. Teddy Scares are available in a variety of styles, sizes, and prices for all your shopping needs. Teddy Scares are a mix of cute and creepy to make a great gift for almost any age. Board up your windows, lock your doors, and log on to teddyscares.com. And be sure to become our friends at facebook.com slash teddyscares. 
calling all comic book fans. Do you collect comics? Did you ever collect comics? Do you think your children might like reading comic books? Do you even know they still print real, paper, non-digital comic books? Well, then visit the Pirates of Ontario Street Comics in Philadelphia. We have a massive collection of comic books, action figures, trading cards, and much more. We have one of the largest stocks of back-issue comics in the area. We bag and board every new comic book at no extra charge. Our store is voted the best comic book shop in the 2013 PHL 17 Hot List Contest. Part of the movie Unbreakable is filmed in our store. We are open seven days a week. Ontario Street Comics is located at 2235 East Ontario Street in the Port Richmond section of Philly. Our phone number is 215-288-7338. Type in the words Ontario Comics Philadelphia to check out our wacky stores page on Facebook. Yo, monkeys, it's me, DDP. And you, well, you monkey, you're listening to Totally Driven Radio. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Bang! There you go. Now, WWE Hall of Famer, DDP. Deservingly. Yeah. Got to give it to him. Got to give it to him. All right. uh, Welcome back, everybody. Our guest is on the line, but before we get to our guest, uh, Janetti, I want you to listen to this and tell me if you can pick out the sound. You know what that was? It was probably your crappy Pepsi. <laughs> nice <laughs> cold can of Diet Pepsi for Mr. Janetti. That's all right. I got a Coke and I'm heading to Wawa for my hoagie. <laughs> oh, too funny. Too funny. Well, all right. Our guest is on the line. He's from the area. She's from the Allentown area. She's got a freaking amazing kick-ass tune that I've been listening to all week. And everybody's going to hear it in a little bit. But let's welcome her to the show. The one and the only, Miss Stephanie Johnson. What's going on, Stephanie? Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. How are you? Uh, I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good. So we good. finally Thank get you to for talk. that nice introduction. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I'm 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 kind of like still blown away. Like we've been talking the last couple of weeks, and it's not like you're that far away. Like you're from the Allentown area, and you've never played in the Philadelphia area, which is mind blowing to me. Yeah. Well, that might change shortly, actually. <laughs> I, I think it's going to change shortly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm actually just, um, things are kind of starting to happen for me um, now. I mean, I've lived in, in Allentown and Lehigh Valley my whole life. Um, and really, I just kind of started doing music because I loved it and it was a hobby and I, I was a songwriter. I mean, I am a songwriter, and I just wanted to kind of, you know, make a CD for just my own purposes so I can say I did it when I'm, like, 85 years old. And, you know, I'm like, oh, I did this. I wanted to do it. I'm proud of it. And then it kind of just spiraled into this amazing thing. I never, ever believed that, you know, the things that have been happening could happen. And it's um, things are just kind of starting to boom right now for me. So I'm, I'm definitely excited to start playing um at some bigger venues and and do some shows outside of the valley and kind of get my music out there nice now now, i was going through and reading stuff about you and you actually 
like started singing, I guess as a, as a small child by like, mm-hmm. and like you started like instantly, like writing your own songs and singing them into a tape recorder. Yeah, I did. So I actually had my first solo when I was in kindergarten. I sang the I Can't Tie My Shoes Blues, which was <laughs> a very moving number. And um, <laughs> and my my grandfather used to have this old cassette recorder at his house, and I was you know over there all the time when I was um, when I was younger. And there would always be a blank tape in it, and I'd push record, and I would just start singing and. And in writing lyrics, and then I started, you know, eventually um, making kind of like a full show out of it. I would wear my grandmother's like big, you know, round fluffy hat, and I put powder on my face, and I there was like a little microphone that was hooked hooked up to it, and it was just very old school, old fashioned recorder. But that's really how I started writing songs. Now the question is, do you still have those tapes? Man, you know, I I. I wish I wish I knew where they were. My grandfather and my grandmother, they've since passed and I'm not sure whatever happened to them. I I think I did get the recorder. I just don't know where the tapes are. They might be in my mom's basement. I'll have to dig through one day, but I would love to find them because <laughs> I remember doing it and it would just be such a, you know, a good memory. Yeah, you know, when when the time comes when you know, after you've dominated the world of music and top of the charts and all that, and people are going to want to hear those those tapes, and yeah. they're going to put through the documentary about you, and they're going to need to be part <laughs> of the documentary. So you're going to have to find them. I, well, let's hope it comes to that point. I know, like, <laughs> my kindergarten video will probably be part of that, but I, like, that was... I ended up doing a really silly dance midway through and then I like tripped over the microphone cord and I rolled my eyes real big. And then my dad was like holding a handheld, you know, video camera and it's like shaking cause he's laughing and it's that, that one would be like a great one for the documentary, but that's on a VHS somewhere. So now how, um, like at what point did you decide to like really start trying to do this? Um, well, I I think it was around, you know, 2008. Um, I, you know, was going through a separation and it was a really low point in my life. And I was trying to, you know, find the confidence to, to find myself. I kind of felt lost for a while. And um, for so long, I, I kind of felt like I, I put my wants and my needs aside and, um, it was really when that happened where I'm like, okay, you know, here's my chance. Like you get one life, you know, now you need to go be happy and you need to go do what you love and you, you got to run with it and, and don't look back. And I think that's what really motivated me. Um, and during, you know, during that hard time, um, I had learned to play the guitar. So I was writing a lot more and I was really, you know, diving into some deep emotions. And once I kind of, got this book full of songs um that's when i wanted to hear you know in my ears what i could hear in my head um and then i i uh went to brian j anthony studios and made it happen now it sounds like uh, when, when going through that point like do you think that helped you get through it was the, the whole musical thing and be able to i'm sure you probably really wrote some emotional stuff going through all that Oh yeah. No, definitely. It was it was therapeutic and and it always has been, you know, even when I was younger. Um, you know, my parents 
uh, got separated when I was really young and I had a hard time dealing with that. And, and even at that age, I, I always, you know, I always use music to kind of help me cope with things. Um, and it's only really been within the last couple of years that I've tried to start writing outside myself and write more like happy, upbeat stuff because I'm so in tune and in touch with, you know, my more somber feelings, but, um, it's, it's a growing process for me. I'm trying to write more happier stuff, um, because I am in a good place right now, but yeah, I, I definitely use music to cope with a lot of the things that I struggle with in life. And, and I think most artists do that. This week, literally, it mentioned a, like probably a handful of times. It was weird. Like throughout this week, the, the, like the same type of message, how um, music is the best medicine for you, no matter what, like mm-hmm. something. I just kept seeing it repeated yeah. over and over weird mm-hmm. yeah it, it really is and I think I, I like I'm a fan of Gavin DeGraw and I know that in, in an interview one time he had said that he never really wanted to pursue music because he felt that it was a selfish career and then it wasn't until he started you know understanding how much his music was touching people that he had said you know it really is medicine and it's truly a gift and it's, it's truly something that is so powerful. It can it can just completely change, you know, the way you feel about something or help you cope with something. It's it's an amazing thing. So, I completely agree with that statement because it was you know it was medicine for me when I was going through that struggle. So, I'm hoping that some of the things I wrote about can kind of help other people who who may be going through the same thing. Before the breakup, you never got into, like, really performing or anything like that, then, it sounds like. Um, so I started out um, by just doing open mic nights because I was really just so scared. And like I mentioned, my confidence was, was just so low, and I, and I really didn't believe that I was good enough to be doing this. And it was terrifying to me. Um, so then I forced myself to do it. And I said, you know what, just do it. Just do it. It's an open mic night. Just do it. And then, you know, from there it kind of grew to, I would get, I would book a show and that would scare me. And I'm like, oh, just do it. Just do it. And then all of a sudden, you know, it just became, it just became natural. Now I'm like, I love it. I can't imagine not doing it. I, I want to do it, you know, all the time. I want it to be my full-time job and, I guess sure. just it, it really changed me. It, it music helped me, you know, become the person that I am today. Yeah, I think that, that's the thing. Now it, it's like you're out there and you're starting to do it, and all. And then it's like the, it, it gets harder to try to figure out, like, all right, now how do I make this like the full time profession? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's tough. I mean, right now I I work I work a full time job and you know I have um I have a daughter and and uh, I'm uh, I, you know I I have a house and I have responsibilities and then I have music so um it's really hard to balance it all. It really is. Uh, I can only hope that I get to a point where I have to decide to keep working my daytime job or. <laughs> or, you know, sign a contract that allows me yeah. to not have to. <laughs> that would be like <laughs> the ideal problem. <laughs> right, right. 
Now, I saw some, um, some videos and all that. Like, you were down in Nashville, I guess, a few years ago? Yeah, I was. Um, I actually went down with um, another amazing musician and, and vocalist in the area. His name's Jay Lapp. And we went to Nashville. And we got to play at the Bluebird Cafe. And um, we went to a place called 12th and Porter. And, you know, really the the whole purpose was to try to, to get um, – someone interested in me really to, to sign a deal. We kind of set we did this whole show and we invited people from the industry to come and we tried to plan it around when the awards would be there so that all these people would be in town. And, you know, I was kind of um, expecting, you know, for it to, I'm not expecting, but I, I was prepared for people to say, no, I'm sorry, we're not interested. You know, we're not, not what you're looking for. Um, but instead, nobody came, <laughs> which I was not anticipating at all. I'm like, okay, I can handle rejection, but I didn't even get a chance because, I don't know, it just didn't work out. And we did get RSVPs from some of the people, but they just ended up not showing. And it was kind of a bummer. But overall, it was an amazing experience. I love Nashville. It is it's just an awesome place to be, and I'm hoping to go back soon. Um, to listen to music, but hey, if I could get a gig somewhere while I'm down there, that would be a problem. What though? It looks incredible in the resume. So yeah. even if nobody well, there, but, doesn't matter. You, you were there, which matters. Yeah, <laughs> I was there, and you know, we had to we had to earn the spot to to play too. It's not like you can just go to Twelfth and Porter, and there's so many talented musicians everywhere. Like, I mean, in every bar and on the street, I'm like, holy crap. I've never seen so many talented musicians in one place at the same time. Yeah, that's like the, the mecca of musicianship now in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Have you ever been? I've never been there, no. Uh, okay. Not yet, at least. Yeah, it, okay. You know, it, yeah. it's hard to get out of the Philadelphia area. <laughs> <laughs> you got to put it on your bucket list. Absolutely. Now you just released this album called Stephanie back in February. Yes. And actually, you worked with like some some impressive names on this, and I was like curious, like how did you work with Paul Crook? Oh wow! Well, there's one common thread there for all of the the um, musicians that played on the album. So um, I was playing with my band and a friend of one of my guitar players, or just, just an acquaintance, um, Charlie, who's actually the keyboard player for Punky Meadows, who's touring right now, um, he saw me and he, he approached me and we actually just just had coffee tonight and um, he was he was just talking about how he really just wants to help people and business is you know it's it's not what it should be and and right. there's not enough people just trying to help other people succeed you know just for the common good and I told him tonight I said you know what I promise if I ever make it I will pass on the goodness like we got to keep passing it <laughs> on and you know, because we were just talking about the business and how, you know, there's just so many, there's just so many people that are in it for money or they never give back to the people that, that help them get where they are. Um, and, and I, 
I don't want to be one of those people. Like if, if I were to make it and even if, you know, something really good were to happen, like I want to share that with every single person that helped me get there. So Charlie and I have, have, you know, developed a really close friendship. He introduced me um, to Paul and to Kenny Dubman from Profit. Um, Paul Crook is, you know, Meatloaf's guitar player. Um, and, and Charlie himself played on the record as well. And, um, you know, all, all he had to do really was just play my stuff and say, hey, are you interested in this? And luckily they were like, yeah, I want to, I want to play. I want to be a part of it. Um, so I was so fortunate to, to have them on there. They phenomenal, phenomenal musicians. And it's, um, it's an honor to have them on my record. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Charlie's a great guy. I had him on the show. I think it was last year. He was promoting Mm -hmm. uh, not Punky Meadows. It was another band he was in with Chandler. Uh, Okay. He's probably called. listening right now, and he's like saying it. He's like shouting I it know, out. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Charlie, call uh, in and tell us. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, but yeah, he knows. He knows because I was just talking to him. I was like, I gotta go. I gotta call Bay, and he's like, Oh, tell him I said hi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you remember? You remember me? Yeah, of course. So now, uh, now I was listening to some of the songs today, and one song that uh, before we get to the single and all and the the video mm-hmm. uh, that I saw, actually there was like two or three different um, videos for it, but it all had like the same kind of message. And the song was "We Will Fight," and like there was one oh. I saw it was very breast cancer related, and another one uh-huh. was. Cancer related now, like was that what the song was written about? Or so I actually wrote that song um, when I found out that my dad was diagnosed with cancer, um, and then once once it was out there and recorded, um, I wanted to kind of use it to benefit as many people that have been touched by cancer as possible. So um, oh, initially, I had put the song on iTunes and. Um, I was a volunteer for Relay for Life at the time and was promoting that anybody that purchased the song on iTunes, I would donate um, 100% of the profit to the to the Cancer Society. Um, I also oh, wow. did the same thing with, with um, the Colon Cancer Alliance. Um, I actually had an opportunity to go to one of their benefits and sing there, and I sold some CDs and made a few hundred dollars in, in just, you know, CD sales, and then I, I donated all of that to the... Um, to the colon cancer society. So, I mean, I try, I try to use, you know, as, do as much as I can with that song as possible because it's applicable to so many different types of, you know, diseases and cancers and sicknesses and ailments um, that, you know, I didn't want to just limit it to one specific thing. I actually just submitted it to, um, to be played at an AIDS walk that's happening in New York. So, it's um, I just think it's a very powerful, uplifting song. And when you're going through such a hard time, again, you know, music is medicine, and maybe it can help you find strength in a moment of weakness. So, you know, it's really the the videos you saw were kind of created for whatever purpose I was using the song for at that time. But um, I think I think it just fits anybody who's going through a rough patch. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, and um, 
Now, now the video, the single video, mm-hmm. Word Man. I'm trying to, you know, it was um, uh, Tammy. Mm-hmm. Tammy, I'm trying Tammy to think what her Rivera. Name. There you go. She, uh, <laughs> she mentions you to me, I guess it was about a month ago. And uh-huh. right away I was like, all right, well, let me, she sent me over to video. And I'm like, holy shit, this freaking tune is really good. Like, really, really <laughs> good. Like, like, this is like radio hit tune instantly i was like oh my god all right this this is serious stuff here <laughs> so thank uh, you great i mean people really i can't wait to play for everybody it's just a freaking awesome tune um now, now what's that i'm like what's the whole thing with that like word man word man so you're actually the first person that's ever asked me like what that song is specifically about um so I'm kind of excited to talk about it because it's just such a, a strong premise that everybody can relate to. It's, you know, actions speak louder than words. And, you know, I wrote the song from a personal experience when, you know, I was stuck in a relationship and I kept hearing that things would get better and he would try harder and he would do more. And it was just words. It was just words. And I just dubbed him as a word man, because that's ultimately just how I felt at the time. I mean, he's, he's a good person. I don't want to be like bashing anyone, but um, yeah, that's, that's just really how I felt. I think I actually wrote that song at like two o'clock in the morning, sitting on the floor, like bawling my eyes out. And I was like, oh. and then I woke up in the morning. I'm like, was that real? Like, did I really write that? And then I went back and I'm like, huh. I think I might have something here that I want to be, you know, sitting up crying my eyes out all the, all the time to write songs. But, but, you know, it's just when you have such true, real emotion, you know, your thoughts are so clear. It's just the words come so easily. The melody, I mean, I must have wrote that song in five minutes, to be honest. It just, it was like, boom. So... You can hear the emotion in your voice, though. Which, that's when I can truly love songs. When you can hear that emotion in the singer's voice, and you hear it in your voice, it, mm-hmm. you can tell how meaningful it is. Yeah. Yeah, I try to, um, you know, when I'm in the studio, or even when I'm performing, I try to just close my eyes for a few seconds and just take a tiny trip back to the birth of that song, like just a tiny trip back to the place where I wrote it. So I can kind of pull some of that out because, you know, I wrote that song maybe four or five months before I recorded it. So, you know, at that time the feelings aren't going to be nearly as fresh. So I always kind of have to dig a little bit deeper because I want that to come through. I don't want it to sound you know, like forced or faked or anything. I want it to sound like the true emotion. And I find that when I take that little journey back in my mind, that it really does come through again. So thank you. (laughs) How about when you perform that live? Is there ever, uh, this just goes so well with tonight's theme because uh, myself and and one of my co-hosts, Nick, we decided that we were going to do a countdown of the top three songs that make us cry. So, When you're performing, does this song ever like get to you that much that you, you start to shed a tear? Um, not. I mean, not thinking about the specific situation, but I 
you know, sometimes when I sing it and I feel it, like I'm just, I just feel really emotional. It's like a very emotional, very powerful song. But sometimes when I just sing it, like it moves me that sometimes it brings a tear to my eye. You know, not not really because of the person that it's about, but just because of the feeling. So, yeah, it's happened. It's happened, but only if I'm, like, really, really, really deep into the moment. And then sometimes I get scared when that happens. I've already been, like, so lost in a song that I'm like, oh, crap, I forget. I forgot where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll just get so stuck in my head. I'm like, oh, wait, are we at the bridge? <laughs> That's already happened to me one time. It's like I need to enjoy it and love it but not get too lost because I also have to pay attention to what's going on around me. So it's a balance, but um, – yeah, that's happened to me before. Now, now something too, like uh, that I noticed too, like going back to like the Nashville stuff, the video clips I saw from that, and all the stuff I saw from you. It's like you went through the makeover as well. Mhm. Yeah, I certainly evolved. Um, you know, I was always really drawn to country music, and you know, growing up, I listened to a lot of country music. I feel like I'm a country girl at heart because I just love okra and fly chicken and <laughs> corn on the cob and barbecue. But um, I, I love the music. I do. I just love country music. And when I started, you know, writing, um, I don't know. A lot of it just kind of came naturally as country. And then I'm not sure you know, what happened, maybe I just kind of grew more into this country, pop, rock kind of genre. Um, and a lot of that was, you know, kind of the influence of, of Brian, who produced um, and really wrote a lot of the music to my to my songs. Um, but now it's funny because I'm right, I'm still writing right now. I'm like already on to the next album. <laughs> and it's country. It's like very country. I'm like man, I, am I confused or what? I don't know. I think I just love it all. I think I just love it all. <laughs> and, it and you know, there's not, but I guess, you know, it's kind of tough because what do you call my music? What kind of station do you play it on? You know, it's like so, in a, in a sense, it's, it, some of the songs are really rocky and then other ones are like more country. I don't know. <laughs> I was trying to figure the same thing out. Like I, I, and that was actually even one of the questions I had. I'm like, wh- like what genre do you kind of consider yourself in? Because you could fall into the three of those at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And music nowadays, I mean, it is, there's so much crossover going on. I mean, you know, you look at Taylor Swift and where she was years ago, and then you look at her now. I mean, she's definitely evolved, you know, into a pop singer, but there was a time when, you know, her songs, which were country songs were being played on pop radio and it was like this pop, you know, with country. And and then I hear Jason Aldean on the radio and actually (laughs) I heard Jason Aldean on the radio and I'm like, okay, now my song could follow that. Like, I think that that would fit. Okay. Because he's country, but he's really rocking too. But then it's like, I don't know if you would play my song after, I don't know, Carrie Underwood. I don't know if that would make sense. So I really don't know. I mean, we're shooting for country radio right now. That's what we're we're trying to get on with Wordman because I think in the beginning it definitely starts out as like a country song. Um, right. But throughout it, it, it definitely gets and it has its twists and turns. So I don't know. We're shooting for country, and we'll see what happens. Well, there is. I mean, there is like like you said, the whole crossover thing. There's so many like 
country and rock crossovers going on anymore. Uh, yeah. It's like perfect for it. So you definitely yeah. have the right it's the right track. Well, I'm hoping so. I'm hoping that a pop person, you know, a pop radio doesn't hear and say, "Yeah, oh, that's too country." <laughs> I mean, I don't think they would cuz I think I think if anything it's more pop rock than country. It just has right. these twinges, you know. This it's just Brian is amazing. He, you know, I tell him what I want and I tell him what what I hear and then he hears his own things too. And then we just come up with this, I don't know, it's just a really cool production. Like, I'm just so proud of the production on this album. And that's really 90% him. Um, I, I tell him ideas, but it's just, he, he's just really good. <laughs> he's just really, really good. Um, so a, a lot of it, you know, it's just ideas we came up with together, not even thinking, well, what should it be? It's just like, oh, that's cool. Let's do it. Now, in the video, whose Corvette is that? <laughs> well, it was my stepdad's, but he doesn't have it anymore. Uh, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they have it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know. It's, it's funny because we, we went over to my mom's house. The house is my mom's house. And we went over there to shoot the video. And um, Josh, who, who shot it, he's with the Jack Nine Films, he saw the Corvette in the driveway, and he's like, oh, my God, we have to put that in your video. I'm like, but for what? Like, does it go with this? He's like, I don't care. It's not going in your video. <laughs> I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> go for it. He's like, that car is so cool. Can we drive it in the grass? I'm like, I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, sure, why not? He's like, okay, because that's going in there. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so it was like all of that, you know, I kind of gave him total creative freedom to run with that. And I, I didn't really, that was very easy going with the whole thing. I'm like, okay, for it. I now you can't have drive it because it's sick. Now, is there any more uh, any more videos planned or? Well, actually, Charlie and I were just talking about that tonight. Um, we are wanting to do a video for All I Know. I don't know if you heard that track yet, but it's probably one of the heavier ones. Um, so I'm not sure exactly when that will take place, but it's definitely on the horizon. I can't wait to see it. Very good. Cool. So now what's happening? We're already in the April of 2017. It's flying by. So what do you, uh, yeah. what do you think in the planning are for the rest of the year? I know, uh, I know it sounds like you could be coming to Philly very soon. Yes. Fingers crossed. I mean, I am, I don't know if anybody else come with me, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm already like, yep, I'm doing it. I'll be there. You know, to, you know make sure I bring the band with me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're playing at Music Fest, um, which is, you know, a pretty big deal. Yeah. I've been trying to get in, you know, for for a while, and I'm so excited. We're we're playing um, two sets actually, and it's on. I think it's on the opening day. It's 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 either the opening day or the day after. It's on um, August fifth, which is a Saturday. Um, so I'm super excited about that. I I think it'll give me a, a great opportunity for people to hear my music and get to know me as an artist yeah. and, um, you know, get, get it heard. 
Yeah, that whole music fest is, I mean, it's a really big thing every year. Yes, it is. It is. And I, you know, I really wanted to get in. <laughs> and I almost missed the deadline this year. And I'm like, oh, man, I missed the deadline. And I happened to just have an email address from, um, you know, someone that had booked us that we had played at the Arts Quest um, a, a few years ago. And I was like, I know, it's like the deadline's almost over and there's probably no chance, but if you have anything open, and she replied back and she's like, how about August 5th from this time to this time? And I said, yes, I'll take it. And then I was like, oh, man, I forgot to check with the band again. (laughs) So, but we're good. We'll be there with the full band. Nice. Very, very good. Mm -hmm. So, all right, so where, um, let's get the plugs out there. Where can everybody get the album? And it's called Stephanie. Yes. Yep. Um, so it is on Amazon. Um, and you can also, you know, the links to, to purchase the album are on my website, which is www.stephaniejohnsonmusic.com. And Stephanie is spelled with an F. So it's S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E. And that's really how my parents spelled my name. (laughs) (laughs) People have asked me that before. They're like, do you really spell your name that way? And I'm like, yeah. And then my joke is, my parents effed it up. (laughs) Uh, Look at you. (laughs) Uh, I'm so funny. (laughs) Very, very cool. And we have that out there. And and also, too, like, uh, no stalkers, please. You don't need no stalkers. Just, uh, oh, you know. man. Oh, that's right. I told you that. I had to change my <laughs> personal page. I was getting weird, weird messages, and I don't need that. <laughs> I can imagine. The yeah. lovely world of social media. I know. And, you know, I was I was talking before about how I don't really, you know, I'm not, a, I really am not a big fan of social media, and I um. I just feel weird, honestly, like promoting myself and promoting my music. And, you know, I just, I just don't like doing that. That's the part of the business I really just don't like. Like I'm a singer and I'm a songwriter and I like my music to be heard and to be out there. But that part of it, I really just don't like. And um, now that I, I kind of, you know, I have to, it's it's part of the business. I don't really have a choice. Um it's like as my numbers continue to grow, it just like gives me more and more anxiety because <laughs> I can also be like a very paranoid person. And man, I watch catfish a lot and there are just some weird people out there and you know, the, the, the bullying that happens online, it's just a scary world to me. So it's like I'm so torn whenever I see. I'm like, oh, great. I got a thousand new followers. I'm like, oh, God, I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) I really am. It's like so so uncomfortable for me to, I don't know. Obviously, it's important. I have to be noticed to get my music heard. But, you know, on the same token, like, I'm, I'm a pretty private person. So it's a little hard for me, and I have to get used to it. Yeah, it, it's kind of hard to be uh, <laughs> out there in, in the public eye and be private. 
Yeah, I mean, and this is nothing. Like, I can't imagine what, you know, celebrities go through. Oh, my gosh. I would be, I would be scared all the time. <laughs> I, I am just a paranoid person, and I would just be so scared all the time. Like, I don't know. I don't even think I would go near a computer. I would just, like, have somebody else manage that, and, and ugh, it's just, I don't know. It's just scary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a big baby. I really am. I'm just a big baby when it comes to that kind of stuff because I'm so paranoid. It's I... scary. Hey, <laughs> bottom line, it's just the world is scary, and there's some really weird people out there. Yes, agreed. Agreed. So, all right. Well, let's let's. Uh, Stephanie, I want to thank you so much. I'm going to finally play this song for everybody so they can get to hear and experience the music. And uh, we look forward to talking again and uh, seeing you soon. And, uh, yeah, we'll keep spreading the word. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was great talking to you. Tell uh, You'll talk to him before I do. So tell Charlie I said hello. And, Charlie, if you're listening, the the band is Radio Exile. So there you go. Oh, I remembered. Thanks to thanks to my co-host Nick. <laughs> so, all right. So, let's get this out here. Here is the song. Finally, word. <laughs> Yeah, little 
good is that friggin' tune? I want to play it again. Come on. I, I, I know Nick's become a fan now. You there, Nick? Okay. Nick? Oh, wait. You're on, hold, you're on mute. Okay. You there, yeah, Nick? Yeah, I was, I was on mute there. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Yeah, man. Like I totally, I totally. We talk about this from time to time, and that you, you know, you hear a song, and um, I said before with the, well, we, you know, I can't pronounce her name, Kragara, Kragar. Yeah. When we listened to that song, it was like we had a vision in our head. You know what I mean? And and it was like cinematic. And this one, it's not so much cinematic, but I definitely see it as like. You know what I mean? Like the sad ending to an episode of Dawson's Creek. You know what I mean? Like, Dude, I'll tell you what. You have to watch the video because you you watch the video and, and like I was like you can hear the like I said in her you can hear the emotion in her voice, but watching the video and seeing the the, the pieces play out, you can see the emotion on her face how intense it is and how intense she gets into it. It's just, uh, it's one of them songs that, I mean, it's a hit. I'm, I'm sorry. And people, they need to hear that tune because it's a bona fide hit. Yeah, no, totally. And like when I say that, like, I don't want anybody to think that that wasn't a compliment. You know what I mean? Like, because you know how that, like those shows work. Like they, they did a super sort of popular song that's under the radar and it blows up. And that 
I'm, I'm telling you, like, that could have been easily in any 90s, like, Julia Stiles romantic comedy. You know what I mean? It could have been the theme song to She's All That. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, tell you, the it first time I heard it, it, it's a hit. It, it's a bona fide hit. Love that tune. I'll play it all week. I'm, I'm telling you, I want to play it again. I'm half tempted to play it again. <laughs> if we had more time, I would definitely play it again. Oh, so, uh, Janetti dropped off, so I'm guessing he's at Wawa. <laughs> <laughs> he's in line. He's at line at Wawa. All right, so uh, <laughs> we got 15 minutes to Mark Ferrari calls in. So uh, do you want to do, do you want to count down some of our top three songs, and then yeah, count man, down the? Yeah, we can do that. All right, so let's. Um, ha- how do you want to work this? <laughs> well, you're the boss, man. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, like the, the idea was pretty pretty similar, I guess, to uh, what we used to do on TV Nation. We used to do a top right. five list, and we would just give the topic. And then uh, I, now, as far as like the media goes, that's up to you. You know, I don't know anything or YouTube or whatever. But I think if we just uh, <laughs> we could go back and forth and give a little reason why or why not or whatever. Yeah. All right, well, all right, now I have your list from earlier, and so is that the correct order, one, two, three, so I'll, I'll count it back down backwards? That is the correct order, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to start with your number three. Uh, let me pull it up. And should we talk about it afterwards or before? Ooh, how, yeah, how should we do this? Um, I'm thinking after. Yeah, I think so too. All right. Cool. Now the, I guess am I playing the whole song? Play part of it, or? Well, just play, uh, play it by ear. You know, if it's dragging on or whatever. But but I, I mean, there, I don't think you, any of them are particularly long, except for maybe number one. Right. Well, here we go. Here is Nick's number three song that makes him cry. So listen for sobbing. To possibly happen. Just fat guy blubbering. <laughs> fat guy blubbering. I might cry. <laughs> Did you know my name? If I saw you in heaven. Now, I'm going to stop it right there, because I said this to you earlier. Like, (laughs) the first line alone of this song kills me. Because if if people don't know the backstory to this song, they wouldn't get it. But now, do you know the story to this song? I do, and and that was why I sort of picked it, because I heard the story. I mean, I must have been about... 12 years old when I heard the song and then heard the story for the first time and it was devastating to me. You know what I mean? Like that, that was like, I was like, holy shit, people, you, you people die. You, you know what I mean? Like that was the beginning of the end of my sort of innocence. Yeah. But go ahead, is. tell the story. Well, he, he had a, a young son. I'm not, I'm not sure how old his son was, but he was very young and he fell out, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was a hotel window. 
and died. And insanely tragic. Yeah. And and he wrote this song um, about his son. And I remember when this, when this came out and I heard that line, like it just, that was like the deepest fucking line. I think that was ever written right there and relating it from there's this father now singing about his son who, who tragically died. Would you, would you know my name if I saw you in heaven? Like, come on. How fucking deep can you put in them? No, I'm with you, dude. I'm like a hundred percent. I'm with you there. It's when you think about how big the song got too, like, this guy is going to have to perform this song every time he, you know, plays music in front of people. And it's, it's kind of a constant reminder as well. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's so incredibly sad. And and the yeah. song itself is just beautiful. It, it is. It is. Let, let's, let's play some more. Look, look how <laughs> 23 seconds into the song and look how fired up. we got. <laughs> let's listen to some more. Absolutely. 
Yeah. All right. So here, uh, I'm going to do my number three. And all right, I, I, I'll just play it. <laughs> Same hotel, same price? No. no. There's a bunch of different prices out there all over the internet. Freaking YouTube ads. <laughs> and uh, now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this. I did it my Now I'm, I, I lowered it. I'll, I'll just make it play a little more. I, I, I was getting close there for a second. Now, I mean, here's a song that I've heard, you know, throughout my life. Um, it didn't really start to hurt hit me until my sister died. Um, right. When I was putting together um, the musical video thing for my sister for the services. This was the song I ended it on. And really oh, wow. listening to the words and relating it, like I was able to relate it to my sister at the time, but also to, I was thinking of myself. And it was like, oh my God, like, I, like I, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I started picturing like my own funeral. And this play. Yeah, that's, Come on. that's rough. Listen, when, when, <laughs> when Frank, listen to this. I got chills. Come on. That close. I got, I'm getting close. I can it. I'm real close. That final, uh, the final one at the end of the song, is, is the one that like when he really. I'm gonna like fast forward to the end. All right. I'm gonna kick it in. Let, let's see if I could. I mean, this is come on. Yes, it was my way. 
That might be, I mean, it really might be one of the greatest fucking songs of all time ever written. It, it is. I mean, it's an amazing song, and it has such a history to it. You know what I mean? Like, it was written by Paul Anka, I don't, I, you know, and uh, the music is actually like a French song that they sort of, trans- the lyrics have nothing to do with each other. They really just kind of took the music, and it's been covered by, I mean, it was a huge success oh, yeah. for Frank Sinatra. It was a big success for Elvis. It, Sid mm-hmm. Vicious even covered it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it, it's, it really is amazing. Uh, I, I'll tell you something funny about it. Um, most people that know me know that I'm a huge Elvis fan. And I joke around and I tell people that my favorite Elvis movie is 3,000 Miles to Graceland, even though, you know, Elvis isn't really in it. Um, But at the end of the movie, there's this shootout between Kevin Costner and Kurt Russell, and they're both Elvises, and Paul Anka is in that scene, and this song is playing in the background. Wow. Yeah, isn't that crazy? (laughs) (sighs) It's amazing, dude. That's a great pick, and it's... Yeah, dude, don't start thinking about your own funeral, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's deep, man. It's deep. That, it that, is. That's so, it's so, and, and, and yeah, you know, so many people have covered it, but none of them, even Elvis, uh, don't, and Elvis has one of the golden voices of all time, but it, nobody's has the emotion as Frank Sinatra's. No, it's, that's the, that's the, the, the top, you know what I mean? That everything else is judged on that. Yeah, uh, but you know what? You know who uh, who Ashley's version was close, and his moving as Frank, Frank Sinatra's was that kid who was on America's Got Talent. Uh, that Sal the Voice, the twenty year old really? guy. Uh, you know what? I, I'm going to play it when we come back. Uh, our guest is on the line now, but I'm going to play it for you. You, dude, you you would not be able to tell. Like, I mean, it, it, he's so close to Frank Sinatra. It's amazing. A- and the emotion is so there, it'll move you as much as Frank's version. And it'll move you more, to, more than Elvis' version. Guaranteed. All right, let's not get crazy. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not getting crazy. I'm just, like, stating facts, telling the truth here. So, all right, all right well, let's... <laughs> Let's welcome to the show. It's been a long time meet for me wanting to to talk to this guy. Let's let's uh let, let's say it's been uh Christ, 2017. It's been like 32 years. So let's welcome to the show the one and only Mr. Mark Ferrari. How you doing, Mark? Hey guys, uh doing fine. Thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh sorry it took 32 years, but uh <laughs> uh we finally got the ball over the goal line, huh? How about that, right? Now, let's see if you can remember this show. When I talked to Ron Keel, he remembered it instantly. It was 1985, Philadelphia. Uh, You guys played on the back of a flatbed truck. Yeah, of course I remember that one, sure. Uh, That was a crazy show. (laughs) Crazy audience. (laughs) Yeah, so I, I, rem- I remember that. Uh, just, as a matter of fact, that we have some great pictures from that show. So, uh, uh, yes, I do remember it. Oh, that's awesome. You know, it's funny. Like, every person that ever talks about that show, 
That's what they always say. Like that show was just out and out crazy. <laughs> they're still talking about it, huh? Thirty-two years later. <laughs> Thirty-two years later, they're still talking about it. That's funny. Yeah, that, that was a cra- it was a crazy show, but it was a great show. We didn't we didn't do too many shows on the on uh, on the backs of uh, trucks like that, so that that one was memorable. But uh, also, I just remember the crowd was nuts. It was just uh, you know, it was just one of those. One of those shows where everything kind of came together, and you know, uh, it was uh, quite memorable. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's, and, and it, it's even scary that it was 32 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> to put it that way, yeah, almost a third of a century. It is. Uh, it is uh, when you put it put it in those terms. Yes, it's a little scary. Absolutely. So, so now here, here's a here's a gonna be even a, a goofier question about your career. The blonde streak in your hair, like that was like your like instant trademark. Like, was there like a big thing, like secret behind it? Like, let's do this to make well, you stand out. You know, uh, when I moved to Los Angeles as a young guy in 1984, everybody started saying, hey, you look like you look like Joe Perry. You look like Steve Perry. You look like Tommy Lee. You look like Getty Lee. You look like Jakey e. Lee. I look like all the Lees, you know. And I just, you know, it was. I had, I had enough of that, you know. And I just thought, you know what, you know, I just wanted, I just wanted to do something unique, you know, and just something uh, that uh, sets me apart from the the other guys that people said I look like. And that's how that's how the blonde streak kind of came came in, in the view. You know, I'm not the first guy to have a blonde streak. Of course, uh, Joe Perry had one. Joe. Uh, uh, Keith Richards, even even Hendrix, right. you know. So, you know, I'm, I, you know, I just was kind of keep keeping uh, keeping that vibe going, I guess. But uh, it's been uh, my near constant companion for 32 years. <laughs> yeah, like, and, and even within the band itself, like that was the thing that made you stand out in the whole band too. Well, you know, I uh, again for me it was just I just wanted. I wanted to have my own, put my own little stamp on it. You know, Ron had blonde streaks too. By the way, you look at some of those old older pictures, and he had little blonde, you know, little blonde on each side of, of his. But uh, you know, my, I, th- I think mine was bigger than his. <laughs> yeah. and, and he only kept but, around you know, for that. But you know, man, you know, the blonde, the blonde streak, I guess, was just part of the whole package. But I, I'm hoping people, you know, you know, people remember Keel as a great band and you know, good songs, good performers, and. Uh, I'm hoping the blonde streak wasn't the make or break thing with with me. You know, it just was just one little facet. That's all. Uh, that's funny. So uh, now, also too, like going back to like the Keel days and all, uh, like a big part of your guys' success was the whole uh, the, like the turning point of when Gene Simmons um, got on board with you guys and started producing for you guys, like. Now, how was that for you, like, personally? Like, I mean, here was, like, one of the biggest names in the music business to come along. Like, and next, next thing you know, like, this guy is behind you and supporting you guys and is totally into what you guys are doing. It was amazing. I mean, uh, you know, roll back to 1976. That was my first concert ever, which was Kiss uh, in 76. And, of course, Kiss was a huge influence on me and, and you know, probably most guys in my generation you know, grew up, you know, liking Kiss or, or, you know, wanting to be like them, you know. And so just, you know, fast forward a few few years later, 
Gene Simmons is producing our record. Yeah, it was it was mind blowing. It was like you know, what you know, what planet did I accidentally get off of? You know, um, and Gene, you know, Gene was very helpful to us on a number of different levels. You know, he was uh, he really did help the band in the studio. He helped us craft the songs. He helped us arrange uh, songs. He helped us. Uh, uh, with the, you know, getting the best performances out of making you know making suggestions on a lot of different levels, and of course you know he he pulled some strings for us too, and obviously you know uh, the press you know kind of latched onto that whole thing you know, and um, so it was just it was overall just a great experience to you know to have him in our corner you know, um, I'm still friendly with him. I see him a couple times a year out here, and you know he's, he's always uh, he's always had our back. So. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, uh, and it was like a seal of approval too for like, for all of us people who grew up as Kiss fans. Like, all right, yeah, like Gene likes these guys, okay, and then something's cool here. Yeah, well, and of course, Gene went also on to uh, produce Black and Blue, and of course, that's you know how Tommy Thayer started his relationship with Gene, and now he's the guitar player in Kiss. So, you know, Gene's helped a lot of bands, you know, and uh, it was, uh, it was really. You know, if you're asking me what it was like, you know, the first time you walked in the room, I can remember that. You know, we were rehearsing in this lousy dump of a warehouse in South Central Los Angeles, and uh, you know, in rolls the God of Thunder. You know, it's like, you know, yeah, I think we were all a little nervous that that first day that he was coming. But you know, he's, you know, he uh, he could be a funny guy too. You know, he definitely has his serious side, but uh, he he put us all at ease pretty quickly, and you know. Um, He's, he's actually a pretty funny guy, you know. He keeps things light in the studio, so that was that was very helpful. Cool, very cool. Now, something I didn't realize too was uh, I didn't realize you actually worked with Pantera early on. Uh, yeah, that's that's been out there for quite a while. Yes, I, uh, I I'm not saying I discovered Pantera, but I was uh, one of the guys very early on that uh, was waving their flag. You know. We're, Rolling back to 1985, uh, when they first um, showed up at a Keel gig, and gave me uh, their, they had two two releases out by them. The first one and Projects in the Jungle, and I mean I was just you know floored, you know. But those you know those uh, those CDs or those releases I should say are a lot different than what Pantera morphed into. But back then you know they were. Commercial hard rock, you know, along the lines of Motley Crue, Judas Priest, Doc, and that kind of thing. I don't know if you guys have heard those earlier releases or not, but uh, uh, so they were, you know, different singer, and it was a different, you know, different era, you know. Um, and then in 1987, it was I produced uh, I produced the song "Proud to Be Loud," which I wrote initially for Keel, but they recorded it on the Power Metal record. And uh, so I flew down there and uh, produced, well, co-produced the session with uh, Vinny, you know, because, you know, Vinny was really, you know, he was really in the driver's seat. Um, and uh, I used to love to, you know, hang out with those guys. They were uh, they were a lot more fun to hang out than my band was, let's put it that way. <laughs> not that I, not, you know, our band, you know, our band, you know, it's like being in a marriage, you know, when you're, when you're in a band, you're, you're, you're married to four people and, you know, you get sick and tired of hanging out with the same guys. So I used to just love that, you know, any, any time I had a break, I would be flying down to Texas and hanging out with those guys. And, um, 
I predicted I predicted their greatness a long time ago. And uh there's actually a video of me at the Texas Jam. I think it was 1989. I went down there uh just as a guest of the promoter and I got interviewed and uh the interviewer asked me about uh you know this up and coming band from uh, Dallas that I've been working with and I made the prediction that they'd be playing the the, the Cotton Bowl one day and of course they did. So um you know, I'm pr- I'm proud that that I've had a you know a, a minor role in their success. I'm not taking any credit for anything that they did because whatever they did, they did it on their own and they did it on their own terms. But um, I certainly reckon recognize their talent very early on. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, how about like doing that? Did you like? Do you think with Gene Simmons doing that for you guys, you uh, were looking to do something similar? Yeah, I said, you know, it's all about passing the torch, man. It's, you know, that's really what it is. And it, in the case of Pantera, I just thought they were su- such extraordinarily gifted uh, musicians. They they were worthy of a record deal. And, and this is a little-known fact. I actually got them signed to our label, uh, Gold Mountain Records, back in like 89. But back then, Gold Mountain wasn't a full-fledged label. They had a... They were distributed by MCA, and MCA had to sign off on anything on the label, and they didn't get it, you know. But uh, they, they at least signed uh, Pantera to submit to MCA all, all those years ago. I'm, I'm glad they actually didn't didn't get signed to MCA because that wasn't the right label for them at all. Um, right. But um, anyways, you know, for me, you know, it was it was trying to give back a little bit, and also because I just knew those guys were great, you know, and right. uh, you know I just wanted to help out however I could. Now, how about like um, going going back to Keel, like uh, when you left? I mean, you guys were coming off like all this huge success, being on tour with Bon Jovi and all this stuff, and then you like felt like it was time to leave. <laughs> like, yeah, there was a lot of look, you, you know. Internally, there was a lot of stuff that was going down back then. You know, we came off, yeah, we came off the Bon Jovi tour in the summer of '87, and like three weeks later, we were playing clubs. You know, that was the only tour we did that whole year. The only, the only, um, uh, you know, major tour we did the whole year. It just seemed like, you know, we just hit a fucking brick wall. You know, uh, with the label, they just weren't. You know, they weren't getting behind the band. You know, we got the Bon Jovi tour, by the way, that was helped by my relationship with John and meeting him at a club and, you know, him inviting me uh, back to his uh, um, his place to play our new record. And that's how it all started, because I had lunch with the guy and he liked our record. Um, but anyways, rolling back to, you know, why I left the band in 88, because when we came off the road in 87... You know, we we were kind of just floundering, you know, and um, th- there was some pressure on us to like get more, be more commercial. So then all of a sudden it's like, hey, let's bring in a keyboard player, you know. And I just, I, I just heavily disagreed with that, you know. And um, I I didn't want to be a thorn in anybody's side. I just decided it was kind of time for the little bird to leave the nest. And you know, I had confidence in my abilities to land on my feet and I did with cold sweat um, it took a little while but uh, I did get there Right. but anyways Ron and I I just want to go on record saying uh, Ron and I never had any bad blood 
uh, not at all, not not at any time. You know, it was all civil. It was all uh, done respectfully. He came out to early cold sweat shows, and you know, I you know uh, I reciprocated, and uh, it was always on on great terms. So it was ne- never you know <laughs> never any blood spilled or anything like that. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And then with um, uh, Cold Sweat, actually, uh, I've had uh, Roy on the show, which uh, he's a great guy. Yeah, of course. He's a great singer, too. Yeah. Now, you guys end up getting signed by MCA as well. And, and it seems like, and you kind of alluded to it, too, like uh, with Pantera, like MCA wouldn't be the right label for them. I've heard a lot of people talk about MCA over the years, how it just they didn't seem to be the right label for the genre. Well, you know, when they're when labels are courting you, they'll say almost anything. It's kind of like when you're uh, when you're dating a, a a new girl that you really like, you know. You, 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 if you really like her, you want to keep her. You you want to woo her, you know. You you may say some things in the wooing process that you know may not be a hundred percent true forever, you know. And so, right. you know, when Cold Sweat was out there. Uh, um, you know, the band was called Ferrari originally, and then it became Cold Sweat. But we were out there auditioning for labels. You know, and there was one guy at MCA, Brett Hartman, who was uh, a fan of commercial hard rock, and he, he, you know, he was the guy that we hitched our hitched our hitched our horse to his wagon, so to speak. You know, we believed in him, and we we thought that he would, you know, he would be able to, uh, um, you know, go to bat for us. You know, and he did, and he did. You know, to the best of his ability, but you know, with with labels, you know, it's a lot of stuff is done by committee. You know, and you may have one cheerleader, but you need ten. You know, but uh, you know, we're talking about stuff that happened thirty years ago. You know, uh, should Cold Sweat have been bigger? Yeah. You know, we made a really solid record. We did tour a fair amount that summer. I thought we had a pretty good shot at busting busting it open, but. Also, you have to remember back in the you know back in the summer of 1990, you know it was kind of when you know musical uh, you know, musical tastes were starting to shift, and you started the grunge yeah. movement was kind of starting to uh, uh, rear its head. You know, so there were other factors that were working against us too. Uh, you can't blame everything on MCA Records. It's always popular to blame the label, you know, uh, when things go wrong. Uh, when, when when they go right, it's always the band the band's doing. When it goes wrong, it's always the label's doing. It's kind of the way it is, you know. But um, look, I don't have any regrets with any part of my career. You know, I mean, um, Cold Sweat was a it was disappointing that we didn't have a, a you know a longer run at it, you know, and uh, we didn't have a deeper run at it. But it you know it kind of is what it is, you know, and you can't uh, you know you, you can't. Uh, uh, start pounding square pegs in around holes, you know. You just have right. to accept things for what they are. Absolutely. Now, how about with the like with the Wayne's World? It it seems like to me like that was like not only was that like a, a break for you, but it kind of like changed like your whole like I guess like not even just career, but like maybe like your whole outlook on everything because it seems like you changed direction in music after that. Like because from that, like you really started seem like you started working with more. TV and movie and music in those areas. Well, the the two things happened at the same time, but independent of each other. 
you know, the Wayne's World gig happened through through a relationship that I had with uh, the director. Her name was Penelope Spheris, and she did a video for Keel. She did the okay. Rock and Roll Outlaw video in in '87, okay. and I just had always kept in touch with her. And uh, <clears throat> you know, around that period of time, Wayne's World shot in the summer of '91. Um, around that period of time is when I was, you know, I started getting into writing and producing music for film and TV. So it, it was, it, you know, what they weren't related; they just happened to happen at the same time. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it was just about being in the right place in the right time with 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 that whole situation. And you know, I had always stayed in touch with Penelope, anyways. And then uh, when I read she was doing Wayne's role, it was like, hey, what can I do to help? You know. And, uh, you know, oh, I need a guitar player (laughs) for the film. Uh, Okay, I'm not doing anything this summer, so that's that's how that happened. Matter of fact, just a couple months ago was the 25-year anniversary of the release of Wayne's World 1. So I don't know if you guys uh, saw my Facebook page. I attended uh, one of the events here that Penelope was involved with, and uh, hard to believe it's been 25 years, but uh, it has. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I remember the first time I saw that movie and I was sitting there and I was like, oh shit, that's Mark Ferrari from Keel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was it. So uh, that uh, led to some other, uh, you know, I did, did, did uh, some other TV stuff as a result of that. But, you know, I never, um, you know, I never claimed to be an actor, you know. So right, right. It was just, again, I talked about a facet, you know, it was just another just another, you know, page in the book, you know, another, another thing that I got involved with. Uh, which, uh, p- page in the book, I mean, like, h- how do you go from, you know, doing all that stuff, even writing a book for like a, uh, like a, <laughs> I guess like a teacher's book for, uh, for rock stars, like uh, yeah. was it rock star 101 or, yeah. and then you end up with now becoming a children's author. Yeah. Well, write, writing books, you know, has a similar, you know, creative approach is to writing songs. It's something that you know you have to put your mind to. Yet, you know, has to has to come from inside you. You know, uh, and it's a creative process. You know, with with my first book, uh, which has been out a long time actually, I think it came out in 2002. But uh, so many so many people had historically asked me about uh, you know certain business things and what's it like being on the road and how did you do this and how did you do that and what should I do here. And, you know, come to find out there was never a book written by an actual recording artist that uh, dealt with the business side of things. There's a lot of books written by attorneys and agents and what have you, and a lot of them are, are, are a lot more in-depth and go into, you know, go into a lot of, uh, you know, you know fine-tuned things, but none of them really dealt with, okay, how how do I how do I, you know, how do I do this within the band? You know, how do I how do I like have this agreement in place? You know, what happens? You know, what happens in a management agreement? What happens with a leaving member clause? What happens in a publishing agreement? How do I, you know, how do I choose the, the right you know team for me? That that kind of thing was never addressed, and um, that's what I did in Rockstar 101. You know, it really was the first book written by a major label recording artist that um, you know kind of peels back the uh, the. The onion layers here on on how the business end of things work. So, I know it's been very helpful for a lot of people. Now, how about yourself? Like, um, going into the music business, like, 
I guess were you were you expecting like all that stuff, or was it like a crash course in learning for yourself as well? Well, it was, it was a little little crash course because you know this, again when 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 bands. Uh, you know, when artists come up the first time, they're 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 young, they're naive, they're they haven't had the experience of of going through things, and they're a lot of times really anxious to, to you know, to get the deal done, right? You know, I'm going to lose this deal. I got to get this deal done. I got to sign. I can't make any changes. I don't want to piss this guy off. Whatever, you know. But the truth is that that a bad deal is much worse than having no deal. Okay, it's kind of like it's it's like getting in a in a in a trap, okay? If once you're in the trap, it's a lot harder to get out than it is to, to get in, okay? It's like quicksand. You can get in, but you can't get out. And that's what it's like with major label record deals, you know? Uh labels can tie you up in court or, you know, just you know, put your career on hold. They have they have the the luxury of time. You don't when you're out of the uh the spotlight for any given period of time, you are yesterday's news. It's even more so now than it was back in the day. So again, you know, I just wanted, to, you know, wanted to share my knowledge. Uh, School of Hard Knocks, stuff that I've, I've been through, I learned, I experienced, and um, you know, sh- share that so people did not make the. Not that I made a lot of mistakes, but wouldn't make mistakes. You know, I was lucky. I always had, you know, I always made sure that um, if I didn't understand something, I hired an attorney. I had you know, always you know, legal advice to fall back on. But some people don't do that. And that's, you know, that's the danger. Now, did you ever consider, like, doing, I mean, there's, like, a whole, you know, the whole, like, rock, school of rock thing, you know, all around the country now. Did you ever think of, like, doing, like, talk? Yeah, to, no, like, I've actually, you know, I've actually spoke to uh, uh, the people that put on uh, a couple of those things. And, you know, a few of them are deciding whether to do a business, you know, uh, you know a business portion of it most of it now is uh you know it's kind of like uh performance based you know or mm-hmm. uh either school of rock rock nation or uh you know fantasy camp you know where you get to play with your favorite rock star you know most people want to do that you know the 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 moms and pops you know they want to play with their, their favorite rock star they want to jam with their favorite rock star they don't you know if somebody is a uh you know if somebody's a truck driver by 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 trade you know they don't they're not going to want to learn about the, the music business. That's really not their trade. They, they want to play. I get it. But, you know, I put myself out there, and they, don't, they know where to find me. So you know, if, it happens, if, if, if it happens, great. If, if not, it's, I'm okay with that, too. So you asked so then, me about my children's book, right? I know I didn't answer that question yet. So how did the children's book come? Well, I, uh, I have a daughter, right? She's now 14, but when she was younger... Um, it became very apparent that she, that she was uh, a procrastinator. You know, she just took her sweet old time doing everything, and we were constantly running late for things. You know, we couldn't get her out the door on time for just about anything. And then one day I just happened to blurt out, don't dilly-dally, silly Sally. <laughs> you know, and then that's just like, I don't know where it came from, but it just came out, and the phrase stuck with me and wound up... Um, it was a little bit later that I actually wrote the story, you know, uh, after I uh, retired, so to speak, uh, when I had the time to, to really d- devote to, you know, flushing out the story and, you know, submitting it to publishers and having the time to follow up with it, that, that's when I actually, uh, you know, it, it came to life. But the idea happened a while ago. 
and uh, so yeah, it's kind of like I mentioned earlier, writing a book is kind of like writing a song or you know, writing an album and then submitting it. You know, I submitted the manuscript to a whole bunch of publishers, and you know, it only takes one yes. You know, get a lot of no's, but uh, you got one yes, and that and what you have now is the result of that. And uh, so I've been, out, been out there having fun, doing some some TV interviews, and uh, I've already done four book signings out here. There's a few more to go, and you know, I'm not going to. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be a full-time children's book author, but uh, we'll see. You know, it's been a great experience. That's all I can tell you. It's got to be like, I mean, completely night and day from like doing these children book signings to doing album signings. You know what I mean? Like, it's a whole new world for you, I'm sure. Yeah, it's a different crowd, I tell you that, you know. So, you know, mostly families and, you know, young kids were, as back in the day, it was obviously a different, uh, you know, uh, you know, different set of folks that were coming out. But again, I, I keep keep going back to the whole pages in a book thing, you know, being being the rock guy and being, you know, being a... Uh, you know, an author, you know, or being a business guy, or being a, you know, being in movies, it's just pages in the book. You know, I'm lucky that I've uh, I've been able to, uh, you know, I've been able to add those pages. You know, I've never been one to sit back and let the phone ring. You know, uh, you got you got to make the phone ring yourself. That's always been my philosophy. Right. Now, doing something like that, you said, you know, uh, you know, uh, did you think to yourself like, ah, you know, if I do this book, like Maybe some people in the business are going to make fun of me or something like that? No, not at all. I mean, it's, you know, look, there's been some other recording artists that have written children's books. You know, I think uh, Billy Joel's got one. There's a, there's a few out there. I don't know if any in the in the heavy metal world, but no, nobody's made fun of me. You know, and I, I don't care if they do. It wouldn't bother <laughs> me in the, in, in, the, in the least, you know. But no, nobody's, nobody's thought, hey, what a interesting career move mark ferrari did you know uh you know as far as my musical career you know career you know keel is you know you know we're like an old jalopy we get fired up once in a while and sometimes it sometimes you know it sounds good and sometimes it sounds rusty so but <laughs> you know it is what it is so right now with the the children's book i mean you could end up you know because it's weird because um both of my daughters, uh, they're teenagers. They're all into like the world of, you know, with comic books and anime and, um, they're both artists. And my older daughter who is 19, we started doing like the comic book convention scene here in the Philadelphia area last year. And she was approached by somebody who was doing a children's book and wanted her to be the artist of the book. So we had a few meetings with this guy and seeing how he had like already, multiple books laid out like for all different things and he was showing us all to them like i mean you could probably do the same thing with silly sally here well i've been asked many times if is this a series is this the only book or is this like a series and i said well you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna take one step at a time you know you know uh if you if you were to ask jk rowling's if uh uh, you know, Harry Potter was going to be a series after her first book. She may not have known, but right. you know, we'll see how this does. And you know, maybe there is a, you know, maybe maybe there there is another story that uh, you know that follows this one. But I'm still in this cycle. You know, I'm still out there actively promoting this book. The book's only been out about 
six seven weeks, so it's 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 still early. <laughs> but uh, but we'll see. That's all I can. Yeah. That's all. I, that's all I can tell you right now is we'll see. And then next thing you know, you could be having like cartoons. You, you, the world is endless <laughs> with well, Silly Maybe you'll be my agent. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> you got a good if you got a good handle on it. <laughs> now, now, how about your daughter? Like uh, you said, she's fourteen now. What did she? Uh, what did she think of the whole idea of this whole book? Well, she's a little embarrassed by it now, but uh, you know, she's a little embarrassed by it. But she, you know, I think she's proud of me, and you know, we, you know, we, this kind of a whole bonding. You know, this whole thing has been a great bonding experience, you know, for us as a family. And, um, you know, it was written for her and about her. As a matter of fact, uh, some of the illustrations in the book were based on her sketches, you know. So she, you know, her oh, cool. influence is all over it. Not only the story, you know, you know, she inspired the story, but she inspired some of the, the, the illustrations, too. Nice. That's awesome. Good stuff. Yeah. Good for you. Good for Silly Sally. <laughs> cool. Now, where can everybody uh, where can everybody get Silly uh, Don't Dilly or Don't well, Dilly Well, that's a, that's available on uh, Amazon or Barnes and Noble. But I have if anybody wants to buy one, that I would be more than happy to sign it to them personally. They can uh, get me through my website, just markferrari.com. Send me an email, and I will tell you how to do it. So that's the easiest way to get that done. Very very cool, Mark. This is this has been great, man. Thanks for doing this. Uh, yeah, you know, well, it was worth the thirty-two year wait. Uh, well, hopefully it won't be another thirty-two years uh, for the next one. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll both be old. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, the door is open anytime. All right, fair enough. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And can I just get you to cut a quick ID before I let you go? Sure. This is Mark Ferrari, and you're listening to Totally Driven Radio. Okay. Hey, all you rock and roll animals out there, this is Mark Ferrari of Keel, and you are listening to Totally Driven Radio. Turn it up. Awesome. Mark, thanks so much again, and uh, we'll be talking soon. Okay, fair enough. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. All right, there he goes. Mark Ferrari. Check him out. Go to his website, markferrari.com, and get that book. Don't dilly-dally, silly-sally. Scary, man. 32 years ago was that concert. 25 years ago <laughs> from the world. Dude, life is flying by. Yeah, buddy. Wow. Oh, man. Whew. All right. <laughs> 10, 10.30. we got a half hour to go, so we can bang out. Our final, uh, our our final two each. All right, let me uh, get number two here. It's funny, like I don't even know this song. Once I like hit play, I probably do know it, but uh, you probably know the share version. The share version? Yeah, there's a share version too, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I guess hers was a cover and this is the original? Uh, you know what? I'm I'm not 100% on that. I think maybe I'm going to have to look it up. Uh, I think maybe he was the writer and then she did it and then he 
did it. I, I, I'm going to have to look that up. Okay. All right. Well, here is um, here is Nick's number two song that makes him cry, and it's from Mark Cohn. It's called "Walking in Memphis." That's the whole thing, the tie to your mother. Down in the land of the Delta Blues 
It's so, yeah, so I think the peach one was the was the snot one, and then yeah. the seven dust one was in like in the, they were playing like at the entrance of an emergency room or something like that. Okay. I like I vaguely remember this from yeah from Headbangers Ball and all that. Yeah. So, and honestly, I've just gotten to the point probably in the last year or two where I can finally listen to this song and not cry. But you can ask, you can ask Jess. I, there was a point from when this song came out to every time I heard it, uh, I broke down hysterical crying, thinking about my mother. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So here it is. Just for them opening chords, I, I'm, I already have fucking chills shooting up my spine. Can you feel it, like, in your eyes yet? Not yet, no. Not <laughs> okay. Yet. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when. Let's see if uh, if I get moved to it. I'm 
Cause I'm missing you I'm still alright to smile Girl, I think about you every day now Was a time when I wasn't sure But you set my mind at ease There's no doubt you're in my heart now Dead woman, take it slow and work yourself out fine. All we need is just a little patience. Dead sugar, make it slow and we come together fine. All we need is just a little patience. Yeah. 
I, I yeah. know because it's not traditionally like a super sad song. You know what I mean? But whenever I hear the whistle at the beginning, I'm immediately like, boom, 10 years old, and just I can hear my mom crying. I knew there was a tie again with your mom there somewhere, but I was just wondering what it was. Yeah, and and really it was her mom. You know what I mean? It was she. She, you know, she, I guess it was, I feel the same way that she felt when she was listening to it. You know what I mean? Like it's it's weird how music does that, and and that song in particular, man, that's a sore spot. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Uh, stuff's deep. Stuff is deep. It is. All right. Um, here's a, here's my number one song that makes me cry. Um, this is kind of like on the level as my number two, where it just it seems as of recent. Um, I, I'm not a crying fool at every time I hear the song. Um, I, you know, it's, it, it's a weird story, but, um, I'll play some of the song and then I'll tell us the story. <laughs> They're stealing our pension. I want to rob that bank. These are burners. Why do we have to do texting? Exactly. Write me a letter. Going in style. Ready PG-13. I've got another confession to make. Right here, really. Oh, 
I don't want to turn it down. It's such a fucking good song. Um, and I think I've told right. the story before. Um, uh, I got to because it's, it's going to kick in. I'm gonna, anyway, so um, <laughs> the Foo Fighters were playing this Spectrum. Um, it was the last, their last Spectrum show, and it was literally the day they announced that they decided they were going to knock the spectrum down. Oh. <clears throat> Me and my buddy, uh, my buddy Bert, we went. I had uh, general admission tickets. We were on the floor, like the two old men in the fucking crowd. Um, and they came out to do the, the final song of the night, and it was this song. And before they did it, Grohl told, you know, talked about, the announcement of them knocking the spectrum down and they started talking about the history of the spectrum. And I, I just, I, you know, there was so much history in that building for the city, so much history in the building for myself. And, um, you know, before he, he, he said, I want to hear Philadelphia sing this fucking song as loud as possible as a tribute to the spectrum. And dude, by the midway point of that song, me and my buddy Bert were both broken down in tears, crying, screaming the words to this fucking song, along with 18,000 other people. And (laughs) a ball of emotions that overcame us. And from that point on, like every time I heard that song, I broke down and cried. And it was funny because the next time they came around, they played at the Wells Fargo Center, and it was me and Jess. And I actually I have the video on YouTube somewhere of them playing. And as they started playing that song, dude, I started fucking hysterically again. And Jess is looking at me like, what the fuck is your problem? And I'm just like, I start texting my buddy Bert. I'm like, best of you. I'm fucking crying. And I don't know why. And and it was like a weird, like, whenever that song came on, I don't know what it was, but that just, just emotionally fucking just. I don't know. Just wore me out every time I heard that song for the longest time. Like, I'm surprised. Like, I didn't like break down tonight. It's and and for those of you that don't know about the spectrum, like I, I don't think it would be wrong to say that the, to Philadelphia, the spectrum is like Madison Square Garden. Sure, absolutely. It's I mean you're talking about a building that Jimi Hendrix performed in, uh, the Doors, Elvis performed there just a couple months before he died. Bob Marley's right. was there. Pink Floyd was there. The Grateful Dead was there. You know what I mean? This was, uh, it was the venue. Queen, the Jacksons, they, you know what I mean? Like, this was yep. like, it was a place of just devotion. You know what I mean? Like, right. people, if you were from Philadelphia, you worshipped the spectrum. You, it's, I, and so I definitely get that. But I, I also, that, yeah, man. Oh, that's such a good pick, though, and it's a great story, too. That's you know, and it, the whole, Dave Grohl, um, with the emotion in that song, and, and with most of his songs, he just—I mean, it's not that he has like that 
that voice that is just so such a great voice. His voice is just pure emotion. And it comes through in some of his songs way more than others, and that's one of them, especially when he does that fucking song live. Dude, it's the trajectory of his career is amazing, dude. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, from, from where he was and, and, like, you were talking to this guy earlier, and he was like, you know, when we were playing, it was kind of like when our music was going out and grunge was coming in. Dave Grohl was there, you know what I mean? Like, and, and fast forward to 2005 when this song came out, Dave Grohl is still there, you know what right. I mean? Like, right. it, it's a, it, his career has been amazing, and like, he's he, he's a real rock star, you know what I mean? He's the last so, real rock star. Yeah. So there you go. There's our uh, our top three. That was that was good, man. That was really fucking good. Yeah, see? <laughs> I mean, you'd be into it, though, because it's about music, you know what I mean? And, and conversation and, and memories and all that, you know? Cause, yeah, oh, yeah. I, uh, we could do shows and shows of just that alone. And, and I think the beautiful part about something like this is, like, it could be deep. It could be, you know, fun songs. It could be any, yeah. you know, you, you could say what's your favorite rap Song, you know what I mean? Then I'd have to figure that out. Like it could literally That's be funny. anything, and and right. we're gonna talk about it. And and you know, music I think and memories and emotion are tied so closely together that it's it's kind of a natural fit for our show. I think. I, I totally agree. Totally agree. Now, before we get to uh, uh, your pick, and before I forget, I want to go back uh, about that Sal the Voice kid uh, doing Frank yeah. Sinatra's My Way. I mean, I'm going to pull it up here. <laughs> what is your name? My name's Sal Valentinetti. I'm from Long Island, New York, and I came here to sing tonight. And what do you do in New York? I deliver pizzas for my cousin's place. <laughs> How you doing? Okay, do you have a, are you a wife? Oh, I'm 20. I'm too young. Oh, you're 20 years okay. old. Wow. Do you have hey. a girlfriend? Heidi Kuhn, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Hey, how you doing? Oh, boy. Tell me why you went to the show, Sal. I want to make something of myself. I want to bring back, like, those Dean Martin-style roasts. Yeah. I want to have fun. How does a 20-year-old get interested in these kind of Dean Martin kind of... That's kind of old My school. grandmother. She ended up passing away. Music was all I had to remember her by. The Italian families are our matriarchs are what's most important. My beautiful mother is in here tonight somewhere. And, uh, and yeah, I, you know what? My mother is everything to me, guys. Okay. Well, uh, are you going to be our, uh, our entertainment now? I'm going to entertain you like you've never been entertained before. There you go. There you go. There you go. There now, this fucking guy. Listen to this, Nick. I'm, I'm, <laughs> this, I, I mean, not only has he got fucking personality, but uh, just listen to this fucking kid sing. As a matter of fact, I didn't come here to try out. I came here to win. Wow. I like that. Sal, good luck. Thank you very much. Let's go. Let's go, Sally! Let's go, Sal! And 
Now the end is near And so I face the final curtain My friends, I'll say it clear I'll state my case Of which I am certain I've lived this life that's full I've traveled each and every highway And more, much more than this I did it my way Let me tell you For what is a man? What has he got? It's not himself, and he has not to say the things he truly feels, and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows, South took all the blows. I did it Now, you, you have to. Uh, I, I got to find the full thing. And I'm gonna. I'll send it over to you to watch. He yeah, yeah. Because I was wondering what did they say. I'm like, what? what oh, dude. The judges think? Dude, they go fucking bananas. Like during it, they keep panning over to uh, Simon Cal. You you can literally see the dollar signs lighting up in his fucking eyeball. <laughs> it, it, it. I mean. It's fucking amazing. Like, he ended up, uh, he won the golden ticket that sent him right on through. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, and it's funny, like, on the side of the stage is uh, Nick Cannon and this fucking guy's cousin, who's like this, he's like five five by five. He's like a fucking bowling ball. You know, Italian guy, he's got the big cigar, he's got the leather jacket, the sunglasses on. Oh, Sal, he's fucking over there hollering. (laughs) No, dude, it's funny because when he asked him what he did for a living, I was waiting for him to be like, I mind my business. That's what I do. This fucking kid, he's playing the tower uh, next month. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I want to tell you what, though. He's sung that song a thousand times. You know what I mean? Like you, like he is so comfortable with that song. Yeah. It takes it takes balls to sing a song like that on a competition like that. So you have to be confident. You know what I mean? Like I bet you that at every family meal he sings that song. Oh, I guarantee you, guaranteed. They probably been making that kid sing that song for fucking fifteen years. Absolutely. Too funny, but yeah, that's just—he's fucking awesome, that kid. You know, and, and that version moves me as much as Frank Sinatra's. That's crazy. It was so—you just—you weren't expecting his voice to go where it went because nah. he had such a thick accent, and he was really playing it up too, and it went in a whole other direction. <laughs> yep. And, and dude, you know it's funny, like 
when uh you know me and my cousins and all we do that uh the wildwood summer uh, vacation every summer and you know we do uh at night we all get together out on the fucking patio we're barbecuing and hanging out and bullshit and all that shit we fucking had that playing over and over that fucking little bit of that dude singing my way you know all of us <laughs> fucking watching it on our phone just fucking yeah sale <laughs> that's awesome so but all right so uh it's your choice. Uh, next, next choice. Uh, I guess Janetti, uh, Janetti doesn't want to take part in our musical um, experiences. <laughs> now, see, this is tough. I have two of them that I'm sort of battling back and forth with. Uh, one's a simple one, and one's a little more complicated. But a hand. Which one? Which one would be the the, the better conversation? Okay, the simpler one would be the better conversation. That's that's a good point. Um, so just a duet. Ooh, so your favorite right. duet. Du- favorite duet. That's right. Just it, it, it doesn't matter what genre, who it is. It's two people that don't normally sing together singing together. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. I already have one of my top three already. <laughs> it's going to be tough because I think I do, but then I'm going to go on YouTube and I'm going to type in duets and I'm going to see 50 that I forgot of come up. Oh, yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> Damn, I want to do it now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh... See, I wow. knew this one would be a hit. Oh, but you, you see now, now next week we have the the Robbie Knievel show. Yes, yeah, so we'll have to put it off until. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Damn it! Oh, uh, it's something to look forward to. It is. It totally is. Let me. Uh, so, all right. Let me. Uh, figure out what we got going on here. And dude, guys, if you if you're listening to this in the replay or whatever, if we're doing this, call in. Tell us what song makes you cry. Tell us your favorite duet. The uh number is always the same. Seven one eight five zero eight nine eight eight three. Yeah. All right. So yeah. So next week we have the Robbie Knievel special uh, with Robbie and the whole crew um, calling in, talking about uh, his, uh, which I'm going to watch this week, documentary, uh, Chasing Evil, which is probably fucking phenomenal. Um, is it on Netflix? Mm, ooh, I don't know. I know it's on YouTube. I'm going to have to pay like a dollar ninety nine to watch it or something. Um, we got so far. We have Nick Douglas, who's the bass player from Duro. Uh, he's a Philly guy, and he just released his first—I think it's his first—solo album. Who he's, he's the only guest we have so far. I have a few other things out there. Coming here back. So there you go. 
Yeah, I, right, I've been seeing man, the pictures too. I, I, I don't know if I should have Kristen call in next week or have her wait a week or. Well, I mean, it would make sense if you waited a week because if you want to just focus on that specific topic, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, real quick then, since I'm not going to get to talk to you, I wanted to tell you about this show that I'm watching on Netflix in case, uh, you know, you're looking for something to watch. Uh, it fits in with our topic. Is this the thir- 13 Reasons, is it? Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm, dude, I'm I've been posting about it for like four days. And not only you, dude, I've been seeing a lot of people posting about it. 13 Reasons Why, man. Yeah, dude, if, if you get a chance, I'm telling you. Uh, it's brutal. <laughs> oh. Now you And you even it's, said, uh, at, like, the other night you were like, I'm on episode whatever, and it's really, like, disturbing me or something. It really is, dude. Like, it's this girl kills herself, and she leaves behind these tapes, and they're, like, the reasons why. And each one sort of points at a different scenario that happened in her life and a a certain person that was, you know, bullying or whatever the case may be, and they have to listen to the tapes and then pass them on to the next person, or there's a second set of tapes that's going to be, like, released online. And it's just, you you find out, like, what drove her to where she was and stuff, and it's, I mean, you'll pull your kids out of school, (laughs) like... (laughs) <laughs> now is this uh, this isn't a true story, is it? No, I think it was it's based on a book or a series of books, but I don't I'm not on a I don't think it's a true story though. Yeah, exactly. uh my daughter was actually talking about it earlier. Like this uh we were getting our hair cut earlier and the girl that cuts our hair, she uh was asking us if we've seen it and I was telling it about you and then my daughter was uh was saying that she uh wants to read the book first. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I I mean, I don't know how they would do a second season or anything like that, but uh, I, I'm telling you, dude, like it was, it was like the book was number one on New York's best times, and it's just like, you for a young adult book, like as a parent, maybe you shouldn't watch. You know what I mean? Like maybe you shouldn't watch it because it's got me like. It's got me questioning everything, you know what I mean? When you see this chick's parents, like, breaking down and talking about how, like, she was so happy and they had no no idea, like, the shit that was going on in her life. You know what I mean? Like, and it's it's pretty rough. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. Selena Gomez is actually the executive producer of the show. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, she was apparently, like, a big fan and just uh, she wanted to make it happen, and they got with Netflix, and yeah. Hmm. I think at one point she may have even been supposed to be the girl who killed herself, and then they replaced her. Wow. But it's, I I mean, dude, I can't, like, it's, it's so brutal, dude. Like, cause the, the kid that that you're, you're kind of listening it through, he was like in love with her, and she was going through all this shit, and he's having like an emotional breakdown because he's hearing her voice, and he knows she's dead. You know what I mean? Like, it's really it's 
it's like torture almost. Uh, like about the fourth episode in, I was like, wow, this is this is hard to take. Like even for the bullies, you start to feel like it's it, is it too much? You know what I mean? Like it sounds like a really like twisted fucking mind fucking mind fuck of a movie or a show. I I still haven't finished it because I can only do like two or three episodes at a time because it's it's emotional. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Wow. How about did you um did you catch the season finale of uh, Legends? I did, man. Uh, all the crazy deaths. <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you what, that, it was like getting hard to follow It was between the doubles of everybody. It was like, it was like too much at once. There was a lot going on, man. And then there's like characters talking to themselves. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was like completely confused at times. Rory going to fight Rory was maybe the best of the night, though. <laughs> was out of the Without a doubt, character of the fucking year. Like, hands down, he he won hands down. He had the best line. Like, at one point, we're getting ready to fly to somewhere or something, and he's like, uh, they're like, are you strapped in? He's like, give me a beer, or I got my beer. It was was just something about beer. (laughs) And I just busted up. I mean, got to give it to Rory. Yeah, dude, I mean, he could have been a very sort of, like, one-dimensional meathead of a character. And instead, like, he's funny. He's had emotional episodes. Like, he he's legitimately friends with Sarah. And that's crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, right, right. <laughs> now, now, where do they go next season? Like, that's the thing now. Like, well, I think everything's going to be messed up, you know what I mean? So it's going to be like, it could be crazy next season, you know what I mean? Like, if time is sort of like, because was, there was like dinosaurs, and it was like the right. twin towers were still up, and so it's it's going to be weird. They're going to have to do a lot, and maybe that means their special effects budget is going to get uh, increased. <laughs> yeah. But I'm actually kind of excited because I'm hoping to see more Ray and the dinosaurs. <laughs> I thought that was a really funny little side story. Now, at one point, I thought they were killing Ray off, like, uh, and he wouldn't be back next season. Oh, my God. Well, what, you mean when they ripped the heart out of his chest? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Dude, I was like, there wow. was... There was so much in that episode when Dame when they were attacking Damian Dark in the ship and he was just like laughing at them in the little ship. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, man, he's like, oh, how Funny. cute! And they gave Sarah closure with the whole Laurel thing. Yeah, yeah, they did. You know what I mean? Like she doesn't have to dwell on it. She doesn't have to still be sort of out to get revenge, like, it's over. You know what I mean? Which I was still hoping they were just going to bring her back in some some way. Like, I wish I, I wish, like, what was the reason for killing her off? I, I mean, she must have had a better deal somewhere for something. 
Well, no, they announced that next season she's coming back as a series regular at Black Tyrant. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So she'll, she's back on the show. She's just a slightly different character. Okay. <laughs> she, she's like the bad guy version of, of Laura. Right. Okay. Interesting. But yeah, that's, that's going to be... I, I mean... Next season is going to be almost like a reboot because there's going to be no more island. There's going to be no more flashback. Um, we're as far away from Slade Wilson as we've ever been. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah totally. Which, like, I mean, are we going to find out in these flashbacks at this season how he ends up back at the island? Well, yeah, I think in the last episode that he was talking to, uh, you know, the Russian guy in the flashback, he was talking about going back to the island and, and, you know, wanting to be there for a little while and finding himself again or something like that. Like, uh, he was, I think he was on his way back to the island and then they stopped him to help with, like, one last mission. Right. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting because, where do they go from there? Is there just going to be no flashes, no forward? You know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm slightly disappointed this season that there was no Roy. Yeah. Like, yeah. it was cool. And it was cool to see Thea back in her costume. You know what I mean? But, I mean, what the hell? <laughs> you know, like... I, 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 I'm I'm not like the whole wild dog thing. Just you don't like him as a sidekick. You know what? If he lose, if he lost the hockey mask, like I get the story behind it and all, I got it. But no, it don't work. It's like one hundred percent faithful to the comic, though. Like, is it real? It really is. Like, I'll shoot you over a picture, and this dude, I mean, like, they really, it's 100%, dude. Like, oh, man. <laughs> now, how about, what's um, his name? Uh, no. Curtis. I like Curtis, dude. Honestly, I he may be um, my favorite character of, of, like, the new class. You know what I mean? He. Yeah. I like the fact that they're focusing more on his science and stuff now and not trying to make him, like, a tough guy. Yeah, I'm really glad they are, too, because trying to make him a tough guy I thought was really stupid. Yeah, it it made no sense. And they're bringing the T-Spheres in, so that's all, you know, comic book, you know, lore right there. So Mm -hmm. I I, I love that. I don't – I kind of hate what they did with Evelyn, but I'm okay with it because I didn't really like the actress. Right. You know what I mean? But I, I I don't know. And Ragman was just kind of a dumb character to begin with. See, no, I really liked him. He, he was invincible, though. You know what I mean? Like, he, I think they powered him up too much. That's all. You know what I mean? Like, he could, like, deflect a thousand bullets with his rag. Yeah. I, I just liked the way they they, they portrayed him, like um, the the character. I guess uh, like the whole hero of him himself. Oh no! I totally. I, I 
dig the actor and his performance, and the backstory was great, too. Oh, wow. And yeah, uh, especially how totally they put... Oh, yeah, right, the wild dog? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's like, that may be the most screen-accurate costume that has been in any comic book movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. oh, man. Interesting. And, dude, we haven't even talked about, like, all of the new comic book series that are coming out. You know, next year is going to be a big year for four or five new shows. Wait, where? What? Okay, well, DC, uh, CW has another one coming out in the DC Universe, Black Lightning. Oh. And, uh, yeah. That's going to be a series? That's going to be a series, yeah. Oh, I thought they were just going to like add him into the universe as a like a, on a recurring role type thing. No, he's going to get his own show. There's oh, um, nice. There's an X. There's an X Men show coming. Um, let's see. There is the Runaways, which is coming to Hulu, and then Freeform has Cloak and Dagger. And then they just announced yesterday that they're doing the new Warriors featuring Squirrel Girl. <laughs> oh. And I know how you feel about Squirrel Girl, dude. <laughs> Alrighty. Live action Squirrel Girl Day. <laughs> oh, that's. It's cool though. The whole thing is just fucking cool as shit. Yeah, did you see the Black Lightning picture that I posted of him in his costume? And he looked really, really good, yeah. Yeah, it's the same costume designer that did the first Iron Man movie, and it it looks amazing, dude. And see, a lot of people are hoping that maybe it takes place a little bit in the past and that they could do a static shock series and tie the two together like past and future or maybe right. legends he'll appear you know what I mean right yeah. I don't know There's... if you're familiar with static shock but people fucking love that oh yeah Dude, there's just so much good fucking comic book shit going on it's amazing man and, and yeah I mean we could do a whole we should we should do a uh, since we're not going to have a regular show, maybe we should talk about doing, like, a special TV nation where we just shoot the shit for an hour or two. Oh, absolutely, dude. We'll talk absolutely. about the Netflix series. We can talk about, you know what I mean? All of that. There's so much to talk about. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to... uh I guess wrap it up. It's eleven thirty. I need to get situated. This is uh this is the weekend of all these fucking conventions. So I'm trying to plot out my uh course of action because uh John Wesley's ship is at one of them and he's only there tomorrow and Saturday. Oh wow, that's that's cool, man. So I have I have been given press passes from uh, our guest from last week to Nostalgia Fest, 
which is uh, up at uh, on Street Road, Fisher's Tudor House, right. this weekend. I've been given press passes by the Great Philadelphia Comic Con, which is out in Oaks, Pennsylvania, at the convention center. And there's the Camden Comic Con, which is a one-day event on just Saturday, which is free admission. And then there's another convention, which I uh, I reached out and said, uh, you know, looking to get press passes as well, thinking I would do the whole circuit over the weekend and do a whole big write-up of each one and do videos at each one and all this stuff. And right. he, uh, he never answered me. I was like, all right, whatever. You're lost, oh, buddy. Wow. You're lost. <laughs> right. So, well, on that note, I want to, uh, yeah, it's been a great fucking show tonight. Another, yeah, uh, man. yeah, man. Great conversation. Great guest. Um, just a fun night. So, uh, yeah. Thanks to, uh, thanks to Janetti for getting Wawa and thanks uh-huh. to Nick for the great conversation and some great ideas for tonight's show. Thanks to, uh, Kristen as always, who, uh, is really belting it out of the park with our, our long and longer conversations. And, uh, thanks to our guest, uh, Mark Ferrari. Yeah. Get his, uh, his children books. Don't dilly dally, silly Sally at markferrari.com or at Amazon or Barnes and Noble or, uh, Stephanie Johnson. Get her album. It's out there. I think it was stephaniejohnsonmusic.com and look for announcements coming soon to do with Totally Driven Entertainment, Stephanie Johnson, and a few other of our good musical female friends coming someplace soon. Oh, and, and here's something else like I was going to throw out there to, to, to uh, the, the, the place that we're going to be doing some shows at. Um, one of the girls that like uh, helps book a lot of stuff and all, she was out there, she put a post out looking for recommendations for something to do at the bar on Wednesdays. Right. And I said, we're doing a comedy night and she's all about it. And like threw the offer out, made it out there to me to like put things together for it. Oh, that'd be awesome, dude. Yeah. So between that, the best part of that is you'll get to like review tons of comics. (laughs) Yeah. I'm with you on that one, man. Yeah. And I, and this magazine with today, the sixth, uh, yeah, I got to like touch base with everybody. I need to get everybody's articles in within, uh, I want to try to get everybody's articles in by the 12th or 13th. So. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm going to do one about the defenders. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So. That'd be good. All right, Ray. Well, let's wrap it up. Uh, thanks again, everybody. Dude, I'll be talking to you. Uh, we haven't been talking much over the weekend. Shit's been so fucking crazy. Dude, I've been so sick too. Like, I don't sound it right now, but like, I'm I've had a fever for like a week and a half. <laughs> like, dude, that's yeah. not good. That's not good no, at all. No, I know, man. dude. It's just constant infections. The diabetes thing—it just sucks. Wow. Fucking diabetes. All right, yep. dude. Go take care of yourself, and um, yeah, I'll be reaching out to you. All right, man. Everybody, 
thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you all get to tune in and listen to the right last 30 minutes that you missed. And uh, make sure you tune in throughout the weekend and throughout uh, next week and throughout your life because we are driven and so are you. So stay driven. See you, everybody. <laughs>